Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. It's Oscar season again, Sol. Uh, my name is Alan, by the way. This is Sol. Uh, and we are we are going to take our annual whistle stop tour through the best picture nominees as we mm. have done for several years now. God, I can't believe it's this time again, like already. And wow. last year was a total shit show because nothing had come out. Uh, <laughs> so even worse this year. This is. <laughs> Should I lay my cards out? I think this is the worst Oscars in twenty years, something like that. I think. We got away with it last time. Like COVID got in the way of any films being made or released, but you know, at the last minute, they had a few films they've been working on. They they snuck them out. Last year's Oscars ended up being all right. Uh, this year, I think we're really like running on fumes, and everything that's mm. been available for nomination is just shit. And uh, the Academy committed to ten nominations this year. Um, why? A, a new rule they wanted to introduce. I think. Well, I why? they specifically didn't do that when they increased it for this reason. Yeah. There's no filler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they increased it, I think, this time around to try and, you know, throw a bone to Spider Man and stuff like that. Things people actually. Because the, the viewing figures, they're always dwindling for the Oscars, and ultimately it's a money making exercise. It's a big TV show they're making. And I think they thought, right, we'll, we'll increase it to 10, and then, you know, something people want to see spider-man that'll get nominated and all it meant is that instead they nominated power of the dog that's 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 a bad example because power of the dog is probably the favorite to win this year now if you're not hearing alan jump in with like grunts of uh, (laughs) exasperation at that we should come clean uh we are recording this in two separate sessions alan and i but when you listen back it will be edited into a a seamless um (laughs) A seamless hole. But I'm only halfway through them so far. Exactly. It's a production <laughs> thing, and it means that for the first uh, the first four films we're talking about today, we haven't seen all of the nominees yet, so there might be some gaps. Well, it just means we won't be able to directly compare them straight away. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. We're going to speak about individual films anyway, so that's fine. But you know, Alan, this year at the Oscars, they are... Uh, they're doing the ceremony with three hosts instead of none, which is what they did last time, and one, which is what they used to do in the past. So I think we should get a third host in to to help us out <laughs> in in the spirit of things. Is that right? And who do you think that host should be? I, I know that Jared Leto was really keen on um, hosting the Oscars this year in character as his character from uh, House of Gucci. Uh, he wanted to do it in character as Paolo Gucci, and they obviously didn't. Well, I don't think they've hired him to do it. Maybe he'll come out and do an award. Uh, but I think we should get him in. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to introduce uh, Jared Leto's Paolo, Paolo Gucci. Hello, Paolo. Hello. Oh, it's me, Paolo Gucci. Hello. So just, just to be clear, you've not seen House of Gucci. I've seen House of Gucci. Oh, right. So that is an accurate. That is an accurate. Rendition. This is this is Alan. If you can believe it, this is an accurate. This is this is him himself. This is Jared Leto. I don't know why you're making that <laughs> oh, face. Good. Sorry, sorry, Jared. I haven't seen House of Gucci. So oh I no! I, uh, this is how I play Paolo. This is uh, Paolo Gucci in uh, House of Gucci. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's an accurate uh, performance. It's <laughs> a bit Borat. Sound, sound a bit like Borat there. <laughs> oh yeah, so my. My wife, uh, Gucci is nice. <laughs> Gucci is uh, nice. Uh, 
Yes, yes. Uh, okay, well, uh, do, we do, have do you want to do it with Jared Leto? Is, that, is he the only option? <laughs> well, as we know, Alan, good things can't just be good. You have to put scenes in with Jared Leto to just ruin it every few minutes, right? That's what we learned from Blade Runner 2049. It's what we learned from Fight Club. Uh, Suicide Squad. God, yeah. I mean, anyway. Um, well, thank thanks, Paolo. Um, do you know Do you know much about films, Paolo? Uh, are you Are you a, a big a big movie fan? fan? Oh, I like uh, I like the Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins. <laughs> okay, okay, that's, that's... refined taste. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that that is in character, really, with Paolo as he's presented in the film. He has very refined taste, just like that. And any other films you like? Oh, uh, I like. Uh... Meatballs with uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> is that is that a joke because you're Italian? Oh no, I didn't even uh, put that together. It's just <laughs> oh, I didn't realize what you were doing. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I also like stripes. Oh, okay, so it isn't just the it's isn't just, Bill just Murray the guy. Yeah, 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 just a Bill Murray fan. Well, I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put you down as a a, a Bill Murray fan. Bill Murray is sadly um, not present in this year's Oscar films. But yeah, Paolo, do you want to uh, do you want to introduce our first film then today? We've got we we've decided we every year now we go through the Oscars in a really good, uh, a really funny, witty order. <laughs> you know, last year I think we went in order of uh, inclusion. Based on a spreadsheet I made, uh, ethnic um, diversity. Ethnic diversity. Like it wasn't yeah. just ethnic; just yeah, diversity in general, from least to most. Uh, the year before that, we went in chronological order from when they were set uh, with yeah. our time machine. That was a good one. Uh, this year, because we've not seen them all yet at the time of recording, we're going in the order in which Alan has watched them. Yes, <laughs> some perfectly valid order. <laughs> yeah, and and the first one. Mm is the one I went to see before I knew it was nominated. So I just Yeah, went yeah, to see same. It. I mean I, I was bank I did think it was highly likely it would be nominated, but I would have gone mm. to see it regardless. It's uh, a pedigree. Uh Paolo, do you wanna do you wanna open the envelope? Introduce the actual the actual uh film? <laughs> oh yes, yes, uh... Okay, sir A West Side of Story <laughs> Thank you, Paolo. Okay, West Side Story, it's Alan. West Side Story, yes. West Side Story. Now, I don't know if you know this, Sol, but mm. this is actually a remake of a film in the 60s. What? Bet you've never heard of that, have you? A remake? Uh, you, At the Oscars? Yeah, you, you, you and what? your blinkered lifestyle of only watching films for the last 20 years. <laughs> I thought the Oscars only rewarded originality. I don't know where you got that idea, but I'm afraid. You're telling me Steven Spielberg couldn't come up with a new idea. He had to just steal something from the olden days. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> he's just knocked this one out. He's getting on a bit. What is he, 75 or something? Maybe he's just needed a mm. an easy year. Well, you know what, Alan? All, um, all joking aside there, I, I think Spielberg has entered a bit of a rut ever since he made Schindler's List and it sort of broke him. <laughs> and he's made some good films since, don't get me wrong, but he hasn't made anything that really has a, a degree of like magic. Like, wow, this is an incredible, incredible filmmaker at work here. It, everything just kind mm. of feels like he's going through the motions, 
knocking stuff out. West Side Story is the first time I feel like I've seen old school Spielberg in what what's that been twenty plus years. This felt like rejuvenated Spielberg. It felt like he. It felt like a a, a a labor of love, which is you know it mm. makes sense because he loves West Side Story, the original yeah. uh, film and musical. It's like one of his favorite things. He, he you know grew up with it as a kid. His parents bought the soundtrack. He wore out the record. He's a big big fan, and I think that comes across here. You can tell this film was made by an absolute master filmmaker in a way that I don't think comes across when you watch something like The Post. Yeah, I I will say that when I went to see West Side Story, it was yeah a, a cinematic masterpiece. It's it's every the, the, shot yeah. is just beautifully laboured over. The lighting yeah. is oh amazing. Like, I, and that's not something that I really mm. notice. You know, the technical filmmaking is just it's another level. It, I can't remember the last time I watched a film where I thought like wow you know like the yeah. cinematography but like the it, it's everything about it it's not just where you put the camera it's the it's the framing like you say the lighting mm. um and the, the set, the set you know, design I they've had yeah. to build a, a 60s tenement yeah 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 yeah, yeah. the set design uh the choreography even like it just every little detail is just brought together magnificently Mm. Isn't it a shame then? Yeah, yeah. That was, that's my, that's, I was going to say the exact the same story thing. Story is <laughs> exactly. Uh, can I? I'm going to read a quote from the little. Uh, if I'm going to read out verbatim the review I posted on Letterboxd after I saw this film, exquisitely constructed. Shame the source material was West Side Story instead of something mm. with more than three good songs. Uh, yeah, it's just I'd love to see Spielberg put this energy and and attention. <laughs> to work on something else um because yeah, yeah the thing that holds this film back is the fact that it's west side story yeah and more specifically that every character is so unlikable and mm. apart the, there's what there was one character that i liked uh and that is the the big sister type you know she's the she's the one who's married to the older brother who's the, the one who's nominated for an oscar whoever I, I don't. I can't Anita. remember the character names. Anita. Yeah, yeah. She's the one that you feel sorry for. She's actually good. Uh, a good person, generally speaking, and she mm. kind of she gets a little bit of revenge uh, well, to I, some I, extent at the end. I tell and you, what, I she is. All that. She is not only the one acting nominee from this film, but she is the favorite to win uh, mm. for best supporting actress. Mm. I mean, the performance was fine. Don't get me wrong, but that's not what jumped out at me. I was just talking about the I character. Agree. Is the that was the only one that I felt like deserved any kind of redemption or retribution at all. I'm yet to watch some of the films, but I'm just going to come out and say it right now. West Side Story is by far my favorite film of the year uh, out of this bunch of Oscar nominees, and. I'm only going to give it 7 out of 10, Alan, so... (laughs) Spoilers! Uh, Is it going to win the technical awards, though? I don't know. It's not getting nearly as much love as I think it really should do at Oscar season. Like, yeah, this deserves to sweep the technical awards, as far as I'm concerned. It it deserves to be, um, certainly for for your set design and cinematography and uh, sound editing... But uh, Power of the Dog's probably going to win cinematography, from what I can gather. Well, let me let me ask you this, Sol. To be fair, Power of the Dog is also a beautiful-looking film, but, you know. Let me ask you, Sol. So, usually when they do a musical, even if it's adapted from something else, they make sure they put an original song in, so they can get an original song 
yeah. Oscar. Did they do that? Because I'm not familiar no. enough with West Side Story to to judge. No, they didn't. I, I think didn't. Spielberg just went, well, fuck that. Spielberg's well, I got the power. I, what, what I will say is I think generally, generally when they do that, it's like we're going to get back the original songwriting team um, and give them a shot at this Oscar. And, you know, the original songwriting team here is um, Stephen Sondheim, who died shortly after the film came out, but was alive, to be fair. They could have got him and whoever did the music because <laughs> he did the lyrics mm. uh but i'm gonna guess he would i think i think stephen sondheim was very young when he wrote the lyrics yeah it's 50 years i oh, know 60 years west side story yeah it was his first george um, shakiris is still alive isn't he i don't know is that is that the george shakiris won won no he won an oscar for be- for west side story best supporting actor oscar for west side story in 1962 whatever it was mm. and like he i think if he's still alive he's the oldest like the longest standing Oscar winner, you know, like yeah. longest still alive since he won. If that makes sense. But no, I agree. The characters let it down. The fact that it's West Side Story and therefore just a kind of Romeo and Juliet thing, like it's fine, but it just feels very basic. They this film tries to get a bit darker with the kind of street gang violence side of things, but it doesn't. It, it's still unintentionally hilarious when they do the jets sharks like ballet and they're trying to be tough guys and that's it it just doesn't the two th- the two worlds don't merge i saw animaniacs making fun of that when i was a kid and i'm sure they were far from the first people to make fun of ballet mm. street gangs so it's like it's it's not even it's like it's it's well-worn comedic material at this point and yeah, like, you know, I think Spielberg tries to bring some of the darkness and grit back into it by, you know, not shying away from the fact that they're all, like, racist and corrupt yeah. policemen and blah, 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 blah. But, but that, that, that just makes it. everyone also unlikable. feels like <laughs> if you're making that in 2022, you actually have to make a statement. It's, you can't just acknowledge. Yeah. I, I don't know. It needed. I agree. It felt like it, like, what was the point of remaking it? Like, what, what are you saying that's new that you couldn't say 60 years ago? Like, what's, apart from like, oh, I just, I love it and I want to make a really nice looking version of it. The point is, I'm paraphrasing someone here, but it's the same principle. Um, the point is, you, you go and watch, um, <laughs> who's a musician that everyone likes? You go and watch, Ed Sheeran. Right, you let's say you like Ed Sheeran, right? You go and watch Ed Sheeran and in his set list he he breaks out for for the encore, let's say, he breaks out a cover of Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles, right? Mm. You know it's not going to be as good. He's not even trying to like he's just he's not trying to reinvent it. It's just a song he loves. It's a song everyone loves. And it's just nice to see him play it. And I think that's kind of what we've got here. Spielberg loves West Side Story. He wants to do his West Side Story. It's not like he's reinventing it, but he's doing yeah, but it, and it's Ed great Sheeran to see a master two hundred million dollar single version that he's touring the world with. Well, that's because yeah. he's that's because his medium is very different to film, you know. Yeah. But that that's that's all well and good. But I'll tell you this though, I the bits. So you got that main couple that are at the heart of the story, obviously, like the Romeo and Juliet types. Yeah. They're obviously really annoying characters. The things they do to the people around them are quite evil yeah. sometimes. And yeah. uh, obviously irresponsible. But I liked stuff where they weren't in it. My favorite bit was oh, when yeah, totally. it's the gang in the police station and they do that whole, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Officer Krunk. Oh, I, I, well, that's one of my favorite li- songs like from the that original. Bit. Is that your name? Yeah. Krupke? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, Matt Krupke. 
You're Officer Krupke. I am. Familiar with West Side Story? No, sir. You never heard the song? No, sir. Oh, Officer Krupke, what are we to do? Gee, Officer Krupke, Krup you? You never heard that? No. Has anybody ever said Krup you? No. Huh. Some guy told me to go fuck my face once. He went to jail. I will say, like, most of the songs here I thought were largely done pretty well, but my favourite song from the original film is uh, Quintet, you know, the big medley of everything, and boy did they fucking drop the ball with the big medley here. Uh, Like, in the original film, it made very extensive use of uh, split screen and screen wipes and stuff to kind of have all those characters singing together. And this film felt like it was going out of its way to not do that so it couldn't be accused of copying the original in any Mm. way. And it just felt really awkward. And it was a bit like watching One Day More in Les Miserables where it's like, well, they're going for realism. So like having everyone sing this closely together, this intricately timed, it's not quite playing. And then they changed some of the lyrics inexplicably. And I don't know, the whole thing just didn't quite come together. It's not got as many elements at once. There's a few elements missing from it, you know. And so I was pretty let down there. Have you seen the original West Side Story, Alan? You must have done, right? It was a oh, yeah, Best yeah. Picture not particularly winner. recently, to be honest with you, but yeah, I've seen it a few times. Am I right am I right thinking it won Best Picture back in sixty yeah, yeah. whatever it was, sixty two? Sixty one it would have been, I think, when it came out. I feel like watching that, it's set in the past and there's a there's a set obviously it wasn't when it came out, but there's a sense of disconnect there for me. Obviously. Whereas yeah, by watching 100%. this which is still set in that time period. Yeah. It feels like, well, I can't accept this kind of storytelling because yeah, it's not yeah. good enough. I, I am surprised actually. When I when I first heard Spielberg was doing West Side Story, I kind of assumed he was just gonna update the time it was set to modern day. Yeah, it feels like it, it you could do that quite easily, didn't it? Like it's Yeah. And that would make it feel somewhat more justified in what it's doing. I don't know. I, I will say I think I think Spielberg's version of the film is the superior film, frankly, of the two. I think the the filmmaking on show is just so good. If you're if you're into West Side Story, you probably love the songs. <laughs> so it's it's mm. it's like it's about it is a ten out of ten West Side Story film, you know. But that only equates to, as I say, a seven out of ten from me. But like I say, at the time of recording, it's my favorite of the nominees that I've seen. So I'm currently banking for this one to win it won't but i think it should but i i gave it six out of ten uh and like i say i can't fault the the kind of technical side of it but that's that's not really what pushes my buttons you know i can appreciate it but that's not going to win me over well talking about uh talking about just remaking an old film because you like it and you can which which was the next one you watched alan yeah nightmare alley (laughs) (laughs) sorry paolo i I took away your uh away your your it's okay (laughs) I, I I I do not know how to read that well anyway, so it's okay. You 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 introduce. All right, Paolo. Have um have you seen any of these films, Paolo? No. <laughs> did, did you watch any films this year, Paolo? Uh, I watch House of House of uh, Dracula because I am a stupid in the film. I'm so stupid. I watched the wrong film. I see House of <laughs> Dracula. I think it's House of Gucci, and then the. Uh, uh, Bella Lugosi, uh, uh, vampire man, come out and uh, 
Okay. Okay. You're a very, you're a very well written, richly, <laughs> richly drawn character, aren't you, Paolo? Um, I can't believe the Oscars didn't want you to host the <laughs> ceremony this year. All right. Well, thanks, Paolo. So yeah, Nightmare Alley, Alan. Yes. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Well, I heard, I heard that this was not a remake of the old film, but uh, an adaptation of the same book yeah i heard that and then i watched the uh the old film and it is a remake of the old film well i watched the old film as well yeah but um i think it's i think it's a bit of both i think i think it's well, undeniable i think, I think perhaps the old has... film is just you know similar to the thing you know do you recall if i can take us back a few years oscars wise mm. when i watched shape of water yeah my my basic assessment of it was it's style over substance I looks, thought your assessment nice. was you just couldn't get into it at all from a like human emotional perspective. Yeah, but it looks great, you know, and it's like okay, yeah, yeah it's a nicely made film. I enjoyed it, but it didn't have anything to say. And yeah. <laughs> Nightmare Alley is like that extra. <laughs> it's, yeah, it has. It's, abs- it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's it looks great. There's some nice performances. It has absolutely nothing to say, and it doesn't know why it's saying it. And it, it is, yeah, I I largely agree with you. I, I, I think it's a really beautiful film, a lot of style and panache, but a bit too dry. Like I couldn't get into it on a human emotional character level this time round, whereas I could with Pan's Labyrinth, I could with The Shape of Water. And and I don't know. I, I think it's so. I think it's far too long. Oh, yeah. uh, I think it it needed a hell of a lot more focus in the edit. We we have basically an hour long prologue before the film gets started. Maybe like yeah. It just feels like well, this was all pointless. Thanks. They could have just started with the meeting. You know, exactly. started with them on the stage and go, and then maybe a couple of flashbacks to see how they met. That is how I would do it. Exactly. Start with him. The first scene you see, Kate Blanchett, where he's on stage performing as a, a spirit medium. A mentalist, whatever he's, he's yeah, doing he's a, a mentalist at first, and then he sort of starts dabbling in the spook show, yeah. which he's warned not to do. Start on that scene and just see the carny stuff in flashbacks. Just to, yeah, and you could reduce it considerably. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Uh, well, I'll tell you. Well, spoiler alert: I'm going to slightly give away the ending, although it's not really relevant. Anyone who hasn't seen this film, it is about a a, a, a psychic guy. It's like a guy who carny yeah. becomes a carny picks up the trade of like quote unquote reading people's minds and it's all a scam obviously uh because this film's set in the real world rather than a magic world where magic exists and um then he becomes a big celebrity breaks free from the circus you know he's kind of doing it just selling out tickets of his own and then he gets involved in you know some con man shit and it all goes a bit messy and people die that's mm. kind of the yeah story. it's kind of when he really starts to um, try and sell it as a real thing rather than it's just an act. You know? The people he learns from at the, at the carnivals have a set of you know code of ethics that they stand by, which yeah. basically are don't you know trick people into thinking you're talking to their dead relatives because it's mm. despicable. <laughs> frankly, I hate spirit yeah. mediums. Alan, has this come up yeah. before? Right? They really rub me the wrong way. There's just something yeah. about like I really. It's quite there's evil, obviously there's obviously worse people out there. Like you know, murderers and terrorists and stuff. But the spirit mediums are like the 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 first people I'd put up against the wall. Um, <laughs> so. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. But the yeah. but the um, so basically, it's the kind of the rise and fall of this particular guy. Like that's it's a kind of life story of him yeah. achieving the great things, but then like throwing it all away. And I really get a sense. I got this sense 
with the Kate Blanchett character, uh, and I'm going to sort of give some sort of spoilers here. If you haven't seen it, sort of skip forward a few minutes. But towards the end, when it all starts crashing down and it's all a bit revealed, I was thinking like, the way this is filmed, the way this is all made and everything, is she supposed to be like the devil? Is this is that what this is <laughs> going for? It was so it was so not unrealistic, but stylistic that it was it like it felt like if she'd like done a devil's advocate on us and like it turned out she was Satan or oh. like that would have made sense within the character story. Oh, because... oh Paolo, Paolo, you brought your uh, <laughs> you brought your your dad. Um, you brought your dad with us. Oh, House of Gucci! <laughs> you you put on them jeans, and you'll have a great ass. <laughs> oh, Daddy, that's Daddy, that's the Daddy. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame House of Gucci isn't nominated this year, Alan. It really is. I, I, I'd love what... to talk about that film. <laughs> Anyway, thank, thanks Al Pacino for stopping in, whatever your character's called. Uh, you can sit with Paolo over there. Just... Oh. But yeah, so Nightmare Alley, yeah, it's it it looks quite amazing in places, but it, it it feels very stylistic. It feels like, ooh, let's make this look really cool, as opposed to let's make yeah. a good film. And, and honestly, I wasn't blown away by the look of this film. It looks nice. I've seen better looking Guillermo del Toro films and it doesn't it, look as nice as West Side Story, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like, yeah, well, it's set in the 30s, so this is what the 30s looks like. Yeah. But, you know, I I, I think of, oh, del Toro, it's going to look incredible. And I, I don't, if anything, it under-delivered on what I kind of expected just on that front. Like, it, it looked mm. good, but the only thing that really surprised me with this film was just the, the scale of the the casts like the talent like the, the the actors employed for like one line you know it's like every actor in this film is someone where i was like oh my god it's it's um mary steenbergen pops up uh clifton collins jr is basically a, a extra yeah um, mary steenbergen two scenes she has only one scene and then a quick like flashback to her a bit later on to see yeah, what she's up to that is you can tell though that that that's been filmed in one afternoon. It's like all in one little set, yeah, like yeah, round yeah. a table. Like there's two scenes that you've obviously filmed really quickly, so yeah. you can get someone in for that. You can, you and you you that. you expect it with Ron Perlman and the Del Toro people, but it, yeah. it's like it's everyone in this film. It's like oh, it's them out of that thing, and I don't know the name, but they're a good actor. And <laughs> oh, there's Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, the the, the obvious Bradley Cooper is the lead. Kate Blanchett is a very big supporting role. Willem Dafoe is you know. A very big supporting part in the first kind of. How do you feel about Bradley Cooper? I've never understood the hype. I don't dislike him. Mm. I think he's perfectly capable actor. I think I'm basically saying the same. I, I like him. Yeah, no problems with him. But I'm never, I've never been wowed by him either. I'll tell you the one thing I've been surprised with him because i didn't realize it was him until i looked up who the guy was afterwards uh which is another film we're going to be talking about in a few minutes so i mean i guess you know what um, all right yeah 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 that's the one time i was like oh who was that guy oh it's bradley cooper okay oh, it's yeah. pretty obviously you know <laughs> yeah i know but i just think i don't think it is that obvious because to me i know women think he's the most gorgeously attractive man in the world but as someone who you know isn't into men i see him as the most sort of boring generic white generic man. white guy and I, I guess people just find generic 
you know, could just disappear into a crowd faces attractive because there's nothing wrong with it, you know, it's just there. You know, even him as Rocket Raccoon, it's like I still I still wish they'd gone for Danny DeVito. <laughs> like mm-hmm. who he was up against, you know, it's just he's fine. He's 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 not not even fine. He's a good actor. He he's yeah, yeah. Very yeah. very capable actor, but I've just never seen him in something where I've thought, Oh yeah, this guy, wow. I want to see I, more of him. I haven't heard anything about him as a person, like or behind the scenes. So I don't know, but this is complete speculation. But he seems like someone who takes himself too seriously. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it feels like really? he's coming oh, on yeah. set, like in character, he's doing his job and all that. So <laughs> I don't know, but like I just feel like maybe takes himself you know? yeah especially when he's directing writing and directing himself or whatever he did with yeah. uh, lady gaga how, how can you say jad leto take himself too seriously alan yeah <laughs> uh, i think jad leto a very funny man a very nice man he gave me a uh, he gave me some nice noki for my birthday <laughs> uh, and uh, we eat pesto together we make pesto uh, gab gal gabalagush. <laughs> <laughs> but did he also uh, did he also send you like a dead rat in a condom? Or uh, of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, what we do in Gushi. That's an Italian. We are very passionate people. All right, all right, Paolo. Look, we know where your colours are <laughs> stamped. All right, let's okay, okay. let's let's. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. Oh, let's let's rate it. What what do you, what did you give Nightmare Alley then? Um Honestly, it was it was trundling along at a 6 out of 10 for most of the runtime for me. Uh yeah. it really pulls its shit together in the last act and it kind of engaged me enough. The ending was good enough that it just pulled that up to a very low 7 out of 10 for me. It was yeah, the actual the very end ending. Yeah, I'm being like very I mean, forgiving. you see it coming about twenty. Oh minutes yeah, beforehand. but you, a... yeah, yeah, yeah. I I saw it coming from the first scene, but I've I've heard Del Toro speak about it, and he says you're supposed to. I I think the idea is yeah, you're, you're yeah, meant to be watching this man's march towards the uh, you know inevitability. Of, yeah, it's not a twist his, or anything. His yeah. downfall, but I do think it could have been handled a lot better to have mm. a bit more impact. I don't feel like it had quite the punch it was clearly yeah. supposed to. Um, well, I, I I I guess I largely agree with you. I gave it a six, so um, it didn't win me over particularly. But yeah. fair, fair. It it really needed a tighten up, I think, in the edit. But uh, do you want to quickly uh, give a rating for the Nightmare Alley from nineteen fifty seven or whatever it was? I'd give that a. I'd give that a very low seven as well. It, it, oh, it, 19, it's a real nineteen forty seven. Sorry, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. It, it feels like an old B movie, but taking it at its level, um, with all the kind of weak dialogue and bad acting that sort of came with the forties, um, yeah, it's fine. It's also well, I wasn't, far too I wasn't as forgiving as you. <laughs> I gave it a Go four. <laughs> it was just like oh, it's such old fashioned style. I'm against, you know, but I don't think it was even particularly. Good for the time, you know. It's yeah, it felt very. Uh, I found the story relatively melodrama. melodrama. Yeah, yeah, melodrama. That's the word. Yeah, definitely. All right, Paolo, Paolo. uh... Oh, actually, should we should we get? um... (laughs) I know who's coming in to introduce. (laughs) Yeah, should we we get should we get another guest in to introduce this one, (laughs) Alan? Ding dong. 
<laughs> Ding dong. All right there, fellas. Uh, how's it going now? It's me. You're right, Liam. It's, You're it's right. definitely oh. not racist Jamie Dornan. <laughs> uh, yes, it's 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 old Liam here. Still can't do the Belfast accent despite, oh, no. <laughs> despite being from there. Yeah, it's more of a Dublin accent you got going It's on definitely there, Southern Ireland, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, here we go. We're, we're talking about the Belfast, <laughs> the, the, the film. You know, it, it was. I grew up in the Belfast, and I said to my old fella there, Kenneth Bernard, I says to him, Kenneth, you, you want to do a film about the Belfast in the uh, in the olden days, like when there's troubles and such? And uh, so that was, that was my idea. You see, I was supposed to be playing Jamie Dornan, and he said, "Oh, he's too, he's too old." I says, "What you talking about?" And I said I could play the, the play the grandmother, the, the Judy Dench there. She'd she'd beat me to it. She's you see, Judy Dench and myself are on national treasure status. We're both equally loved by the British public. So, you know, what you what you gonna do, hey? You can't fight the Dench, that's what they say in the industry. She's not a dog, I tell you that. <laughs> Would, would you like to weigh in on the very mild controversy that Eamon Holmes tried to uh, whip up about this film? Now, remember, we, 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 we're going way Eamon back. Holmes. <laughs> Eamon Holmes went after <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we tried to start some beef with Eamon Holmes back in the day, didn't we? I think we should reignite that. Eamon Holmes and his hairy hands. He um, Apparently Eamon Holmes took issue with the film because... Um, the film, and I, I'd like to hear your in, in your view on this, Liam. Apparently, Eamon Holmes said that uh, he he grew up same uh, same area near to Kenneth Branagh, same time. He said they didn't have an Indian corner shop owner or a black teacher or Chinese pupils in the classroom uh, when he grew up. Everyone was just white. Yeah, and uh, I... he didn't like that in the film because there's a few people of uh, diverse backgrounds. That did jump out at me actually, because yeah. the idea of an Indian guy running a corner shop is seems very kind of British. I, I that seems totally believable, just because Eamon Holmes didn't have one in history. Well, that's it. I I saw uh, he's the only person of color I remembered in the film afterwards when I when I read that Eamon Holmes was complaining. I was like, really? Well, I I thought they were a white. And then mm. I remember right. Well, the shopkeeper. Well, yeah, that's a. Uh, I guess maybe that was more of a thing in the seventies that you know Asian people came to the UK and set up no, shops. I don't know before that. Yeah, but, but I, I, I did. Yeah, I mean, think I did notice. I, I genuinely did notice the teacher. She's. I mean, it looks like she's probably mixed race or whatever. But yeah, that sort of jumped out at me because I thought, yeah, there's not going to be many people of color in in this area. Like. A first-generation immigrant shopkeeper felt totally in keeping, but you know, that's just that's Belfast. I I mean, I'm talking, I'm sort of comparing it to where I grew up, was a tiny little village. Belfast is and was still a major city. You know, it's like even if you're in the suburbs. Well, that's Belfast, it. I, I I grew up in a tiny little city, uh, a tiny little village out in the countryside, but you know, we still had a, a few Chinese people who ran the the Chinese takeaway and the couple of asian people who ran the indian takeaway i mean but then i grew up in the noughties you know i imagine it was a very different yeah. time to the but 60s. there are two two non-white people in the film i don't know if, i don't know if that's exactly gilding the lily is it it's not, yeah it's not. well I, it's an odd I, I didn't pick up on it but you know i also didn't grow up in belfast in the 60s but um i, I don't know eamon holmes was claiming that they had to do it for uh for funding to tick boxes and I, I i don't know how true that I, is. I, I think 
if you're talking about ticking funding boxes, uh, you know, one person having four lines in a scene is not is not is not ticking the ethnic diversity box. That's not what they're doing. And I don't think the person whoever trying to get funding for Belfast by Kenneth Branagh is worrying about that. If you're setting you're making a film set in 1960s Belfast, anyway, that feels yeah. like a bit of a non controversy to be honest with you. No, I agree. So it's Eamon Holmes trying to make himself relevant, isn't it? Um anyway. <laughs> Belfast. Uh yeah. this so I I think I've complained about Kenneth Branagh before, have I on the podcast? Oh I'm have sure I? we we did Hamlet, remember? Oh yeah. Yeah exactly. Let's go back to Hamlet. So um I'm gonna pick up the ball that I was rolling with Hamlet. I basically said I didn't think that Kenneth Branagh was a very good actor based on Hamlet. It felt like he was mimicking uh, Shakespeare that he's seen performed. Because his his way of performing Hamlet is to just randomly modulate the volume of his voice without any real reason or rhyme as to how or why he's talking. Because that's how he's seen people do it on the stage. And it can be very, very engaging. And that's that's Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, right? And right. and also, I, I think you always see the gears and cogs turning. You never lose yourself in it. But anyway, I think that is Kenneth Branagh as an artist. I don't think he's an artist. I think he's a mimic. I think he's spent enough time operating within the world of the arts to become very good at doing an impression of people that will superficially play to people who perhaps don't think about things in as much detail as other people do, that he's brilliant. So I think superficially, Belfast plays like a masterpiece. I think superficially, Belfast plays like, oh, well, it's it's in black and white, therefore it's beautifully shot and meaningful. Let me jump in on that right away. It, the film opens with, like, I've seen the trailer, I knew it was black and white, but the film opens with, like, colour shots of Belfast's present day, I guess, and then it kind of fades into a, oh, and this is what it used to be like. And it goes into black and white. And like that's why I was thinking, like, this is it's 2022 and the cinematic language we're using is, oh, it's the olden days, it's black and white. That's that's the cinematic. It's not just that, Alan. No, it's not just that. It's also um every time the kid watches art that takes him out of mm-hmm. the world, like cinema paradiso style, he escapes into films. Ooh, they're in colour. On the stage it's in colour. Yeah. When he's yeah, watching TV in his house. It's not in color because the TV was in black and white. So you know he doesn't have the he doesn't have the degree he doesn't have the degree of artistry to do what I would do, which would be to just make his TV in color anyway. Because you're doing the color for the sake of artistry. Star Trek was obviously shot in color, so he could do that if he wanted to. Um, Anyway, uh, but basically, I just think this film. It's like Kenneth Branagh's watched a load of Fellini films. He's watched a load of Ken Loach films. He's seen a load of good films by good filmmakers. And he's gone, oh, I like that little thing they did. I like that little thing they did. Oh, Quentin Tarantino just copies people, doesn't he? And that works out pretty well. (laughs) But Quentin Tarantino copies with purpose. He goes, oh, I love how they did this to do that. I'm going to do this to do that. Kenneth Branagh goes, I love this bit in that film. I'm just going to throw it in here because that's all filmmaking is, right? You just throw a load of shit at a wall and it doesn't have to actually be saying anything or mean anything. And that's that's this film. It, it, it has nothing actually to say. No. Um, it is superficial. I, I actually think the cinematography is quite ugly. I'm, I'm so it's glad it jarring, hasn't been... It hasn't been nominated for an Oscar for cinematography, and I think initially people thought it would. It's in black and white, but it's it's flat. It's badly shot. There's 
poor lens choices, badly lit. I'll tell you what it was. I think it was the lighting because there's there's shots of the street. They have this street that sort of two terrace rows sort of against each other. And I can only assume that that they built that in a studio somewhere because it's it's lit in this really artificial way that I don't think you could actually light a real street that way. And it's also kind of really flat. And I mean, literally yeah. flat it's, as in a three-dimensional it sense. It's yeah, like, yeah, um, and it, these straight lines. Throughout the and, film. And these straight lines. And I just flat. think it feels, it feels completely unlived in and but, but too, it, too kind of cut and dry to be a real street. But it feels to me like like I I am a good photographer in the sense that I can frame a shot. I can pick up a camera and know the framing because mm. that's intuitive. You don't have to learn anything there. But I'm not a good photographer in that I don't understand aperture settings and yeah, yeah, like yeah. the science behind it. I don't have a clue. This film felt to me like if I picked up a camera, it would look like that because this is someone who's kind of got half of it down. They're kind of like, right, I'm going to frame a nice shot up here, but they have no understanding of how to like then make it look good <laughs> make mm. it look professional um and and i almost thought oh kenneth Branagh must have shot this himself but no he had a <laughs> he hired a professional apparently but the other problem with this film is kind of on that that note of just copying stuff and it not really having anything to say the 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 consistent there's no consistency the tone is all over the shop it's like it's trying to be kind mm. of a comedy one minute. It's yes. trying to be like hard hitting, Saving Private Ryan one minute. But it's that, trying that's to be it. This... this is only a couple of uh, a couple of rewrites away from being the new Billy Elliot. You know, it could be a really kind yeah. of feel good drama that has a has a couple of hard hitting moments. But it but it but then it's also not a hard hitting drama. It's exactly because it's it's, it's, it's too set, lightweight. It's set during the trouble. You know, it's basically what the film is is a little boy's experience of uh, Catholics and Protestants fighting each other literally on his doorstep and the consequences that's having on his family. And it's not saying anything about that. And I think that's probably deliberate because you just don't want to get involved. It's just kind of going, oh, well, look, you know, this is a difficult situation for mm. someone to be in. Again, I'm just looking back at my letterbox review and I, I said one minute you're watching a Ken Loach comedy about a romance between two 11-year-olds and the next we're watching Ellen Kilmov's take on The Troubles. It's that yeah, yeah, yeah. degree of just tonal disparity of just, yeah, and it, it's just, it's just messy. And it also didn't ring true either. Like this, they literally barricade the street, and they're like keeping guard on anyone who comes in yeah. and out the street. This is like a war zone, but it doesn't feel like you're ever in that place. And because yeah, the next minute you're watching a kid stealing Turkish delight from Mister Singh and being chased yeah. down the shop, and it's always so funny. His that... parents, his parents are worried about they haven't paid the tax bill. Like that's <laughs> yeah. Or there, or there's a scene where you know, again, like the the kid sees all the rioting going on, it all the shit kicks off at the end, and he sees people rioting, and another older kid encourages him to start um, looting as well. Yeah, he gets they caught go into up the in shop. He steals, he steals a thing of washing powder because his mum might like it and he just wants to take something yeah. and then the mum is, is furious with him for stealing and yeah. then it's a really like funny scene that could have been beautiful where she takes him back to the shop and makes him put it back in amongst rioting looting like yeah. guns I mean, going off i i appreciate yeah you're trying to you're trying to teach your child not to steal and not to loot but this is not the time to do it. There's literally a riot going on. There's people being hurt around you. It makes the big climax of the film, which is meant to be this huge riot, which is meant to be this, like, scary, you know, big thing. It makes it play, like, light-hearted comedy. Right, well, it's not that 
big a deal. It's not that dangerous because the mum's just taking the kid back into the shops and they're just, you know. It, yeah. it, it, and then it like two work. minutes later, he's and, got a gun to his head. And it's like. And I'll tell you why that's there. It's because that happened to, to uh, Kenneth Branagh, I believe, because this film is basically an autobiographical yeah. account. And real life generally isn't that well written because, you know. <laughs> things don't play the same way they but the, do on the screen. problem is i think if you wrote if you wrote that mum character so that by the point when she does that you believe that that is something she would do but mm. we the build up to that has not been she's that. got a lot it's of just, common so sense it just feels like a stupid dangerous thing to do yeah um and and one of the big problems i think with the film is that there's just no it was obviously intended one way and then it became something else in the edit because i don't think kenneth Branagh knows what he's doing but originally alan now, did you think, did you think, wow, great restraint on the part of Kenneth Branagh not putting himself in this film? <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> well, originally they shot a load of stuff with him as an adult, very successful. His character, he was playing the kid as an adult, right? As a very successful like actor or film director or whatever, who got out of uh, Belfast and made so a career for himself as a basically. yeah, as a successful artist and like. It was gonna. Inter- he was going back to Belfast, and it was gonna like intercut with the past, and then seeing him in the in the present. And I think without that, the film doesn't work because so much of the film is about this kid escaping into the world of art and going off into his imagination to get away from the troubles. But then you never see enough of that. You never see any fallout of that. You, you never get the impression anything. Yeah, exactly. You just see him watching a film and it's in colour and a close-up of his face when he's watching it, like, wow. And that's another thing. Half this film is from his perspective. It's clearly from the kid's perspective. There's, like, a very jarring argument between the parents that's shot entirely as a close-up on the kid's face with him watching them. Right, okay, good directorial decision if the film is from that kid's perspective. But then the next scene, it's like Judy Dench talking to Kieran Hines, and it's just mm. like the kid's not even involved. It's nothing to do with him. And it's yeah. it's information that the kids wouldn't know, like, wouldn't know was, how to process. It was confused, it, yeah. It was, it was messy. But, yeah, and that's what I, that's again. I just don't think Kenneth Branagh is a good director. I've I've seen nothing to suggest ever that Kenneth Branagh <laughs> is a good director. I've seen a lot of his films at this point. Artemis Fowl was dreadful. Thor he got away with because Kevin Feige doesn't let directors stray too far away from, you know, the beaten path in Marvel. But this was <sighs> Hamlet. This, <laughs> it was. I I, I want to say I didn't dislike the film. Okay, and I kind of I went into it. I was ready to dislike it. I'd seen the trailer and I was like, oh, this is right. going to be nonsense. And it and it managed to win me over a little bit. Mm. But that's not to say I really loved it either because there's there are all these sort of fundamental issues with it. But there's there's kind of a nice heart to the story and there's some nice moments. Yeah. The little kid is really good. I think the acting's really great all around. The acting in this film is phenomenal. I, I think that um, in particular, Catriona Balf, uh, who plays the mother, she was the standout for me. I think she mm. deserves to uh, win um, the Oscar, but she's not even been nominated. Um, but she, she, she's one of the best performances I've seen mm. of the, the past year, frankly. I, I thought she was wonderful. I, I'm less impressed with uh, Jamie Dornan, who I've heard so much about. He was fine. He's doing all right. Yeah, he's fine. He was fine. Nothing wrong with him. But she stood out to me like, oh, that is a mm. good actor. Jamie Dornan was just 
there. Judy Dench is Judy Dench, can't falter. Kieran Hines, I thought, was fantastic. Yeah, he was nice, he, but he's he's always quite good, isn't he? When that week, yeah, yeah. And Jude Hill, the little kid, for a little kid, pretty yeah, pretty solid, stuff. pretty good work. So yeah, yeah. yeah and so the and the, there's you know like at the it's at the heart of it is a very emotional storyline. But my my sort of problem with it, my problem with it was that I think setting it in this conflict in the troubles was a mistake because I agree. If yeah. you have this it, in, it's, it's exactly the same story except without that backdrop, it the the family dynamics means more because basically what the purpose of this is is they have an opportunity to move to England and it's like well do I want to leave my family? Do I want to leave my friends? This is everything I know. This is a difficult decision. Well, it's not a difficult decision when there's a fucking war, a literal war. On your literal doorstep, and your children. I know, are in I know, but it is it, it is a lot easier said than done. A lot of people obviously didn't move. The film tries to present both sides of the argument as if they're like equal, and it never. Because Kenneth Branagh obviously thinks leaving's the right thing to do because that's what his family did, and look at him now. And so you never get a solid argument for them staying ever, <laughs> and so you're just waiting, like yeah. Yeah, which there could be one. They like they could be like, well, no, I, I'm I want to, you know, I don't like what's happening around here, and I I don't want to leave. I want to fix this place. I want to make this place what I like it, or anything like that. And also the um, I, I did like so, sort of a bit of a spoiler for the ending, but the granddad of the family, he he like they they don't want to leave because you know they've got family there. The grandma and granddad are there. The granddad dies, and then they're like. All right, we can fuck off now because we don't care about the grandma. It's only one. She's it's like, half as many people to care about. Yeah. Which <laughs> you're weighing it all up. <laughs> just poor yeah. old Judy Dench, just like going to die on my own. Right I guess there, is but, what she's yeah. thinking. Is I, I, I feel similarly to you, Alan. When I, I went into this, I think mo- a lot more positively. Um, it was an advanced screening. It was kind of an early Oscar buzz film. I thought, all right, let's tip one of the Oscar films off, like probably, and it'll be all right. And, like, it's very watchable. Individual scenes are quite entertaining and charming, even if I think they are badly directed and take a lot of swings that are ill-advised. The acting is great, like I say. It was, you know, I came out of it, and I think I gave it a 6 out of 10 when I came out. It was only after I really kind of dwelt on it, thought about it, really thought like oh yeah but it just it really doesn't know what the fuck it's trying to do that i i downgraded my rating to what i i am Mm. gonna give it in a minute uh one more complaint the thing that really took me out of the film i know eamon holmes was uh upset about people of color being there i was upset by the fact that um this family seemed to own like an ultra hd cathode ray television set with a stunning pitch perfect reception at any time. Whenever he's watching Star Trek or a classic film on that film uh, on that screen, little crappy TV screen, it's gorgeous picture. It's like a 4K <laughs> restoration of Star Trek on this shitty little TV. It was just like, what? <laughs> All right. Uh that's that's kind of, you know, speaks to the heart of this film, I think, in that it's just superficial and inauthentic. Like not enough thought has gone into making it feel real. And and that's kind of, you know, I, I think the film was clearly meant to be this cinema parody, so odes to the power of, of art, the people who had the courage to leave. Um, even there, that's too, that's too messy already. That's two things already. But you can make both those marry together. But then you remove that yeah. whole aspect of it, and it's just this mess of a... 
it's not really saying anything as it stands because we never see anything to suggest that leaving was the right choice for this family. They just get on a bus and go and that's the end. Yeah, well, what did you rate it then? I downgraded it to a five. Yeah, fair enough. I, I gave it a seven. It's pretty, you know, I, I basically just, like, it, it kind of won me up to that. Like, I kind of went in with low expectations. Maybe that helped, ultimately. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there was just enough enough kind of moments to it that I I, I sort of enjoyed the experience, mm. even though it's not a particularly great film. So a sort of low seven seems fair. Yeah. I, I don't like Kenneth Branagh anyway. I, I, I have to say, <laughs> like, if if ever a man has better encapsulated the word ponce. <laughs> well, let's move on to our next film. Yes. But I, I've got a feeling Paolo is going to enjoy this one because... <laughs> oh! You, uh, you make a pizza for me? <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, a I like a marinara sauce, a spaghetti... Oh, no. is, is that, is that no. what you have on your pizza, Paolo? You, spaghetti. Uh, uh, artichoke, uh, hearts, and spaghetti <laughs> on my pizza. Wow. Okay. That's that's a bold flavor. Well, here's a bold flavor. This is licorice pizza. Oh. oh licorice pizza. Oh, this sounds. Uh, this gives me an idea for a, a pair of trousers. I'm going to make a pair of trousers and encapsulate the licorice pizza. Oh yes, uh, it's going to be uh, black colors and the uh, browns and a little red and uh, dashes of cheese and uh, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, well you you work away on your new your new line your fall line over there, I guess, Paolo, and we'll uh, talk about the film. Okay, well. Um, I just we just talked about Belfast there and um, licorice pizza. I went in with pretty much exactly the same feeling. I I, I watched the trailer. And I thought, oh, I know exactly what this is going to be. The the slight difference here is that this was exactly what I thought it was going to be. A, a random assortment of obviously autobiographical stories that don't hang together and has nothing at all to say. Yeah, it's it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but from Paul Thomas Anderson instead yes, of Quentin Tarantino. Which I also hated. And yes, all that Hollywood inside material. Yeah, it's, like, it's I grew up in LA and I think that everyone else will find it as interesting yeah. to to see what I went through as a teenager <laughs> as I find yeah. it interesting. And I um, hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. Yeah, yeah you do. But More you... <laughs> I was going to say you like Paul Thomas Anderson more than Quentin Tarantino. I don't think you do. I think you like Quentin yeah. Tarantino more than you like Probably. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, in the nineties, I did because you hated uh, his last effort that we spoke yeah, about, Phantom Thread. Yeah, at least it wasn't as boring as that. Yeah. Well, I I thought Phantom Thread was masterfully put together. It just wanted to be a film that I found quite boring and uninteresting. Mm. Um. I'm not going to say that about Licorice Pizza because I think Licorice Pizza is, yeah, very self-indulgent and it therefore isn't like masterfully constructed. It's just a rambling assortment of things that kind of evoke a feeling. Um, but I will say the right word, now, I I didn't hate this film. I think it sounds like you're going to come down harsh on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the, the the worst example for it for me is at one point. So our main protagonist, kid, is sort of fifteen-year-old kid. He's just going about his daily life and the police like 
gets oh, knocked into the ground, God. drag him off. He gets arrested. Out of Nobody nowhere. knows what's going on. Out of they don't nowhere. tell. Yeah, there's no build up to this. They don't tell him why he's been arrested. Well, there's, we've spent about twenty minutes already on a scene, like or fifth, ten minutes, let's say, on this scene already, like setting up this scene, not setting up police are going to come and get him. Setting up, we're going to a trade show. We're going to sell this yeah, product. Selling, I'm launching a business. And out of nowhere, the police tackle him and drag him away. And there's there's all sorts of things going on because there's some things that he's doing that there's probably dodgy some illegal illegality going on. Like like why? But why have they so? Why have they been so brutal with him? They drag him off to the police station, and the woman, the main woman in it, she's running after him. She's scared. She doesn't know what's happening. And then they kind of go. They bring someone out, and they go, "Oh no, no, that's not him." And they basically just let him go. And like they don't even say, oh, sorry, mate, uh, wrong, mistaken identity, you can go. They just sort of like unhandcuff him and send him on his way. And like the only purpose it serves is it's kind of a little bit of a bonding moment between these two characters. Like, So she obviously realizes that she's worried about him or something. But the film doesn't but even do that with ob- it. <laughs> it doesn't well, they have like a moment it. afterwards, like they hug and stuff. But then they, they... They don't even go back to the scene that we spent 10 minutes on before... So it yeah. means that scene went nowhere as well. Yeah, yeah. But that's obviously just happened to someone. Either Paul Thomas Anderson, that guy who this character is mainly based on, that it seems, to, I can't remember what, his J- name. James Gandolfini? No, no. Is that not <laughs> no. who he's based on? No, no. It's, um, I, I can't remember his name because he's not huge. Oh, sorry, not, not James Gandolfini. God, what is it? It's, um, it's, it's your man, Philip, Philip Seymour. Well, no, that's not him either. Was no. it not? No. Cooper Hoffman, that's his kid, isn't it? It's, Someone's... Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's based on his... Yeah, it is. Uh, no, it doesn't. I was getting confused because um, James Gandolfini's kid just played uh, James Gandolfini yeah. in another film set in the past. And uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. But anyway, but yeah, like this... Um, it's it's obviously just like a, a story that someone told him or, or be it a, a personal experience a friend had. You know, it's like, obviously, it, feel, it felt like, oh, this is probably something that really happened. Mm. But that doesn't make it a good for a film and it's certainly not relevant to anything that's happening here how how do you feel about the uh the nepotism on show in this film because uh, i mean cooper hoffman's not the only uh kid of a famous so yeah so cooper sasha hoffman, spielberg's in there very briefly cooper hoffman is in there he's philip seymour hoffman's son i really really like philip seymour hoffman obviously your favorite actor i believe him. yeah Obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson worked with him a lot, and he knows this Cooper Hoffman kid. He's watched him grow up, right? Cooper Hoffman has no other credits and didn't particularly want to be an actor, from what I could tell. Yeah, from what I've heard, Paul Thomas Anderson really kind of strong-armed him into... Yeah. Sort of tricked him into auditioning for the film, and then they, you know, developed (laughs) enough of the film together that he was like, all right. Hmm. But I, I like him. I think he's I, I think he's a good enough actor for what he's doing here. I yeah. have to see more stuff before I judge too. But he's perfectly good in the film. Yeah. The char- the problem with the character is he's a smug little twat. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think we're supposed to like him. The problem with the female character is she's a she Yeah. Well the and then the main female character, she's quite aggressive and unpleasant. Alana Haim. I liked and her. We're supposed to like her a lot as well, more I think. Than... Yeah, I think she was pretty alright. I, I didn't think, oh, what but a she's, pleasant. She's very aggressive a lot of the time. Yeah, because of fucking this 15-year-old keeps trying to turn her into a pedo and ultimately succeeds. Um, 
That's not what she's angry about, though. She's ang- she's like at home. She's angry and sort of shouting because because she has a shitty family life. Her dad's abusive and unpleasant. We see that early on. Her dad like is really nasty to her, and her siblings are you know. No, they're not. They're not that bad. And and if she was, if that character was, if that character was fifteen, I would like not even question it. But she's twenty five. And yeah, if the okay. point we're making, if the point we're making is, well, she's still kind of got this fifteen-year-old mentality. That's why she hangs out with a fifteen-year-old. Okay, but it Michael doesn't Jackson, make you like her it? as a person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And 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 then the and then the the male character is fifteen, but he's like got the mentality of a thirty-year-old entrepreneur. You know, like he's always like out trying to make a buck. Can we get definitely not racist Liam Neeson to weigh in on the? Uh, <laughs> I know he's more of a race guy, but there's yeah. some interesting age. Go, go on then. What's, what's the problem here? Going on here? Okay, so we got a fi- fifteen-year-old boy interested in a, a woman in her twenties. Pursues her throughout the film. She says, "No, no, that's statutory rape. So, no thanks." Um, oh, I, I tell you, I got me cash. I've been walking up and down the streets of. <laughs> All right, and um, and at the end of the film, spoilers. He does basically succeed they do have a little snog and the implication is all right they're going to be together now and i kind of thought at some point in this film he's going to turn 80 we're going to have like a time skip he's going to become <laughs> old enough and then no it doesn't happen he's still 15 i think they they state quite clearly near the end he's still 15 so just to be clear then it's the young fella he's the young one the lady's a bit older yeah the, the, she's in her 20s right that's fine then yes all right <laughs> if it was the other way around i'd be disgusted <laughs> All right, good to know. Good to know. Uh, uh, clearly, so I don't know how it works. But... Clearly, that's how uh, all the academy agrees. That's how the society works. I would like to read again verbatim for you my little review of this film, Alan. Mm. There are certain things you can't imagine or even envision until they happen, and then they're so perfect, so inspired that it's difficult to remember life before they existed. John C. Riley as Herman Munster is one of those things. <laughs> I, I should have known that was coming. <laughs> a, a cameo, barely a cameo. Talking about our favourite actors, uh, yeah, my favourite there as John C. Riley as Herman Munster. Oh, it's like your perfect combination. <laughs> oh, I need more of that. That oh. it was, it, yeah, that's the shame. It's, he's on screen for about fifteen seconds. <laughs> Less than. It's yeah. it's like a tracking shot walks past him. He goes, "No, I'm really Herman Monster. I am." And then like <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and it was the voice yeah. that did it. I was sort of like, "Oh, is that? Oh, it's John C. Riley." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the time I'd even realised it was John C. Riley, you know, Cooper Hoffman was off at his mattress pitch <laughs> area. Um. All right. So I mean, it sounds like you hate this film. I'm a lot more forgiving. Hate it, is I probably think. a bit strong, but let me ask you about. I just think it was a mess, really, and not interesting enough to get away with it. I think it. I. I don't think it was a mess because I don't think it was trying to be anything more than just a meandering load of nothing that doesn't really build or <laughs> mean I don't anything. Know, that's not enough for me. That's not what I want. From I know. I know. But but I. I. I think it's perhaps lazy. Oh, it felt so self-indulgent. I'll tell you who I did like. Go on. John Michael Higgins. Oh God, that—I mean, that made me laugh, but it felt—it felt out of place, even for a film that yeah. is essentially comedic. Yeah. Ah, oh, but that—I guess that's based on a real thing. I don't know. He's often my favorite guy in things. It turns out, um, sort of a dark horse performer. He—he he plays the owner of a Japanese restaurant who goes through various Japanese 
girlfriends, if not wives. Wives, they're supposed to be wives. And, yeah. and when he tries to talk to them, he just does a really sort of racist <laughs> Japanese accent in English. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I mean, it took me by surprise when he did it the first time. And I was just like, I can't believe this. Paolo, is, are you... Are you is that are you trying to speak Italian? Is that why you? I don't know. I'm trying to insinuate. Okay, no, just just checking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a totally meandering, self-indulgent film. Can't really defend it, but I I think it does capture a, a sense of um, teenage naivete, perhaps that kind of. There's moments sense of, of that. Your, yeah. There's there's moments of that, particularly with the the male character and like, the yeah, there's little bits that were like oh, okay, like but it just it, yeah, it never molded together into anything. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I I give it a seven out of ten. I gave it a five out of ten. Um. Yeah. And, you know, like that that like I didn't hate it, I just didn't like it, and it was just it, and it felt, you know, it's I I think it's. It's very long. Lazy. For what it is. Like, make a prick a fucking proper film. Instead yeah. of just throwing a load of shit to get a load of sketches together. Yeah, but you don't like it when he does that as well, poor Thomas Anderson. He did that with Phantom Thread and you didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> you prefer it when he just throws a load of sketches together. Boogie Nights. That's your favourite film he's done, isn't it? But that's still telling a story and wow. you, you managing to work an ensemble cast just there and about. still making it, making it uh, relevant. Okay, so next up. So we have uh, okay. The, the next one I saw was uh, a Netflix one. It is the Power of the Dog. Okay, can I? I was going to try and predict how you feel about Power of the Dog, but oh, yeah. I can't. I can't tell how you're going to fall with this one. This is the mm. the one film this year. Actually, there's maybe two, <laughs> but this is the one film in particular this year where I I can't tell if you're going to despise it or love it. <laughs> Because I, I know I, I know why you think that I can I can understand that yeah because looking back I see the same thing on one hand <laughs> this is an incredibly tedious dull film where very little happens <laughs> yeah there's a lot and that's of that a this that's year. a good thing for you that's that's why this is confusing <laughs> yeah can I can I tell you something and I'll gauge your reaction oh yeah go on this is the favorite to win. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good, and, good. Honestly, I agree. Not to, not, not to give too much away, but none of these films deserve to be in, in the pantheon of Oscar winners today. <laughs> <sighs> not, not to get, not to get too far ahead. But there are, yeah, there the, are maybe two films nominated this year that deserve nominations under, you know, in in a typical year, in but a not decent year. Yeah, not to win, they would be kind of weaker nominations, but. Uh, yeah, this is the favourite to win. Although I wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset. Personally, I, I think it's it can't it can't be a very uh, it's not like exactly a a one race, is it? That's got there's got to be a few. I think uh, it's all to play here. for. Yeah, I out of the ones we've already spoken about, I think West Side Story could um, sneak in there. And I can't uh, see that winning though. I don't think it will, but I don't know. It, mm, no, um, not for best picture. Well, there's just there's Technical no real stuff. there's no real strong winner you know there's no clear-cut thing to get behind so it really it's all to play for but yeah power of the dog is um currently the favorite has been the favorite for a while which i think might work against it because people might get bored like complacent with it as like the yeah the winner it does it, it's one of those films that feels a bit of the safe option but then yeah, all, if you like all tedious, are, there isn't shit, there isn't I mean. a 
outlandish option here, is there? Maybe mm. don't look up. Mm. But yeah, what I what I did okay, what I did like about the film is that it really sets up this guy as a total asshole. Yeah, and then you just start to go, okay, he's just a bit rough around the he's obviously he's in that life and when you see him differently it's not so bad you can kind of see where he's coming from there's a bit more history there kirsten dunn's character is kind of the opposite you feel sorry for her at first and then you think oh well she's just kind of demolishing herself she's self-destructing and I, I i quite liked that kind of flow and you never really knew who to root for and and then the the ending is a little bit of a kind of kicker and then mm. not to give too much away it's a it's a bit of a kind of like oh I, I kind of like that. I like the kind of... It wasn't a very clear... Not a clear narrative. I like a clear narrative, but it wasn't a very clear moral journey. And, and I yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, quite tedious in, in telling it. It's, I mean, it's Jane Campion, right? Yeah. Now... Who I have a complicated relationship with, I think. Well... For the, for, I think I've For seen... the reasons that I see in this film, there's always some nice stuff, and then it just always feels like... A lot of kind of arty nonsense for mm. for no real um, mm. benefit. Well, I've seen one of her films, and it's not the piano. Uh, but mm. my gauge on sorry, one of her films prior to this, I should clarify. Um, my take on her work based on these two films is that she just makes very unnecessarily dull, long films where nothing happens about people in the past. Yeah, I yeah I I tell you what I get from her, and I did get it from this film as well. It's it's atmosphere. You get a very atmospheric sense. You kind of really you mm. you have to let yourself kind of go into the film and and lose yourself in it. Mm. Um, were but is that is that enough? I, I don't know. <laughs> can I uh, can I be a little bit racist? Uh, no. Although <laughs> although have you heard Sam Elliott's um, ruffled feathers? No, <laughs> is Sam Elliott the man with the moustache? You know Sam Elliott, yeah. Sam yeah, Elliott, the guy with the moustache. Yeah. I'm Sam Elliott, and I'm in the Wild West. I'm a real <laughs> cowboy. Uh, well, he he doesn't like the power of the dog. He he was on Mark Maron, and he 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 was like basically saying what a load of fucking shit. Hated it, and then Mark Maron was like, "Why?" And he was like, "Gay cowboys." <laughs> Son, I'm a cowboy, and I tell you what, they they ain't gay. They ain't gay. So, uh, well, if he, I mean, he is a proper cowboy. Like he was definitely in the Wild West 130 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah he was. He, he definitely knows what he's talking about. I would thought. I I don't know if gay cowboys should be a particularly um, controversial. Well, any, not now. Not in a post Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, but any time you get a load of men, yeah, stuck together with no women around. Exactly. I Stuff's mean, gonna you know, happen. Needs must. Even if you don't particularly care, for exactly. It. But also, I don't. I don't think this. I think saying this is about being gay is obviously a, a bit of a misleading. Well, it, it, it felt to me like the subplot, <laughs> right? It's. it's I, I think it's about that. That kid and his arc is about being. I mean, you, you can read it more broadly than that. Uh, yeah, I think it. I think it's more about feeling feeling out of place and, and not yeah. fitting in in your world. In in the same way that your your Benedict Cumberbatch character. Has kind of completely lost himself in this world to get away from a world that he's obviously come from. With his brother, is a little bit kind of more refined and everything. He went to went to Yale or whatever they said that he'd done. It is a bit weird to be like, well, he's gay and that's why he's different. It's like mm, he is chopping up animals and like looking at their entrails and stuff. Is that is that what you associate with homosexuality? I mean, well, that's what I mean. The only the only gayness is that they get on quite well 
uh, and occasionally look at each other in a bit funny way, which is obviously deliberate. Like it's not, it's mm. certainly not just a, an accidental subtext. Mm. But but he's also he's also a bit of a you know sissy boy in their kind of parlance. He gets in a bit of trouble with the big masculine cowboys who yeah. don't like how effeminate he is and so on. So I think that's also a big part of it. Um, can I can I just say uh, some positives? Go on. So I'm not just slagging this film off. Um, beautiful, very very mm-hmm. nicely shot. Yeah, uh, which I think is typical of Jane Campion, isn't it? Uh, well, she—I was reading something where she'd worked with the uh, her and the cinematographer, like got together and worked for a year planning out the shots before they even mm, well, filmed it's not, anything. It's not is, that good looking. Exactly. It's just like <laughs> yeah, come it's on. It's just like a nice landscape. I'm not being funny. Yeah. You film it in New Zealand. That's where they shot this. Pretty yeah. hard to not end up with a nice landscape or two in your film, really. <laughs> That's another thing Sam Elliott didn't like. But they <laughs> well, made it wasn't they made it they dared to make West. a Western that wasn't in the West, yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable mm. that they would do that, right? They'd never do that yeah, in the yeah. olden days. <laughs> set around where, you know, the Western not being set in the West. Um anyway, yeah, uh the other thing I'd like to praise is uh, a performance. Who's which one? Can you guess? The standout for me. Um I think the standout for you is going to be Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, yeah, Kirsten Dunst. I, I, I was, I thought she was wonderful. Yeah, I haven't seen her for five years. I looked up; the last thing I'd seen her in was five years ago. The last thing before that was five years before. <laughs> I haven't seen much of her recently, but there she well is. done though, because the, the the one performance people are fixating on is uh, Cody Schmidt McPhee. Yeah, who I thought was he's solid. Yeah, it's fine. good. He's just kind of playing weirdo. It's yeah, it's, just it but just, yeah, he does a good job of it. I can't, I can't yeah. really. Uh... And then second down, Benedict Cumberbatch, who again, he's fine. There's no look, bad right, acting look, in the film. But Kirsten Dunst was the one performance that really stood out to me. Like, oh, that's good acting. Yeah, let's. Can I just deal with Benedict Cumberbatch for a moment? Okay, he's playing a hard bitten Western cowboy. Okay, first of all, Benedict, that is not your casting. Like, let's not pretend it is. And so he does this thing where he goes and lives as a cowboy for three months and then he, like, plays the role. I was reading stuff about it. Like, they all had to talk, refer to him by his character name and, and all that bullshit. And I hate that. Isn't he called... He's, isn't, he, isn't he basically... <laughs> fucking... Phil Burbank is his character. Isn't yeah. that the... That's, what's the guy from Groundhog Day called? <laughs> Phil, Phil Ryerson. Phil oh no, no, Ned Ryerson. You're Phil thinking of Tru- Truman Burbank. That's who you're thinking. Phil, uh, I've com- I've only gone and combined the Truman Show with Groundhog Day. <laughs> There's an Ooh. idea for a film. Right? <laughs> Truman Show meets Groundhog Day. Mm. But yeah, I, 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 I hate it when actors take themselves too seriously. It's just like, well, for fuck's sake. I, and Benedict Cumberbatch is very, very guilty of this. And I don't, I don't particularly like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor in general. I must admit, uh, I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't like his mm. presence. I don't like his style particularly. Um, and because of all this kind of stuff, oh, he just winds me up. And so, having him as a sort of your central charismatic role. Um, didn't win me over i'm afraid do you know for um to get into character for uh avengers infinity war he actually projected himself forward into 14 billion <laughs> 605 different futures well there you go that's commitment to the partner he's all right look i i it's for fine performance but it's just like get grow up will you you make you make pretend for a living I think um, do it well. You don't have to live it. I think it's a valid approach to acting at a certain level. If you get results, 
Um, I don't think there's anything in Benedict Cumberbatch's performance that suggests he, you know... When I watch Daniel Day-Lewis in something, typically I go, all right, I can see it on screen. I can... You feel like he's lost himself in that yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah okay. I still think it's stupid and, and childish, but, uh, you know... But it's, you get, you it's getting, the getting results. results there. Whereas Benedict Cumberbatch in this... Mm. Yeah, it's Benedict Cumberbatch doing a... Yeah, a, a sort of quite poor American accent and uh, being dirty. I I, and, I thought he know, was fine, but I didn't get anything in this that I didn't get from Benedict Cumberbatch in Star, Star Trek Ten. Into Darkness or uh, <laughs> yeah, Star for Ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, my own biases aside on him, um, I, didn't I, I like particularly Benedict Cumberbatch. care for the film. You know, you like him, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I do. Well, well, should we take this opportunity to talk about acting Oscars, seeing as though there's a lot of them on this one? We're halfway through. Yeah, go on. Do you want to run him down? I don't really know what's going on with All that. Right. Do you want to run right. down for me? I'll All see right. which ones I've seen. Let, let's do. Let's drip this in for the rest of the episode, but let's start now with actor in a leading role. Okay, All right, go on. Actor in a leading role. Yeah. Andrew Garfield, your favourite. Uh, what for? Spider-Man No Way. Oh. No, Tick, Tick, Boom. I was gonna say, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> tick, tick, boom, where he tick, plays tick, uh, the guy tick, who tick, made boom. Rent. Not he made Rent like he made enough money to pose Rent, uh, the the, the, the musical about AIDS. Um, okay. And then he died. I I, I'm not. Afterwards. I haven't seen that, so I can't comment on that one. But He's... I, I have not been impressed with Andrew Garfield so far in his career, but I I I can believe he's done something. He's not going to win you over with Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, okay. I tell you now, it's an annoying film for musical theatre nerds, of which I am one. So if I'm finding it a bit overbearing, you know. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think I think there's a lot of goodwill for him this year. I think Spider Man's probably genuinely. I think that probably gave him a little boost. He probably would have been nominated yeah. anyway. But I feel sorry for him. I think you know it's that classic thing of well, we can't acknowledge him for the fun movie. So uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he's there. Uh, solid performance. It's a musical as well, so we had to sing. Benedict Cumberbatch, Power of the Dog. Okay, depend. Like I don't know who else has been nominated, but this performance in this film f- for this actor at this point in his career feels like a yeah, we're going to give him an Oscar kind of moment. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Even though it's not necessarily the best characters ever played, it's just like okay, yeah, he's at the right time. He's a, he's a big name actor. We're going to sort of celebrate his career a little. Well, bit. he's he's not the favorite to win. Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be a bit of an upset. Well, see, right, too... but, like I think if it's not a strong year, it's sort of like yeah, let's give it to Benedict Cumberbatch. Just safe pair of hands. You know, you're not gonna yeah. be embarrassed. Well, I by think that it is later. quite a weak year, as we've established. Uh, it goes beyond the best picture films. It's everything here is kind of a total shit show. Uh, but yeah, we've got Benz- the Benedict Cumberbatch. Then we have dream. Come on. Denzel Washington for the tragedy of, uh, tragedy of Macbeth. Okay, I haven't seen that, but that's that feels like a Meryl Streep. He's doing Shakespeare, isn't he? It? It's like, okay, look, we can, yeah, we can put him in. It's safe. Yeah, but you know, he does Shakespeare about as well as you're going to do Shakespeare. But Denzel Washington, it's a safe bet. You can't, exactly, exactly. No one's going to moan about that. Exactly. He's not white, which is nice. Yeah, exactly, know, exactly. That's always good. They they like that. Uh, next up, Javier Bardem being the Ricardos. Okay, I haven't seen not that, a lead either. role, uh, but he is nominated in the lead role category he, he actually well, gives a very that before. yeah he actually gives a pretty good performance in a fairly average not Aaron Sorkin's best work film 
Um, there's some really nice moments of of emotion in there. Yeah, I I I'm not upset that he's there. You know, uh, even though that just feels like a safe choice as well. Obviously, there wasn't many to choose from. Oh yeah, they're just making up the numbers. Yeah, mm. and now favorite to win it, Alan. Can you guess? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. No, Will Smith. Oh, of course, for that. So let's not uh, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves because we will be discussing okay. King Richard. Yeah, let's later. not let's we'll come on to that. But again, I can see that as a kind of like he's hey, the favorite to win. Will Smith. Let's put him in the books. Yeah, no yeah, one's yeah. going to be worried about that. I can, I, I can I, see that. I can honestly, see that. I think right now, I think it's kind of sort of a toss-up between Benedict, Denzel, Will Smith. Now, no one's watched The Tragedy of Macbeth because it's Shakespeare and it was on Apple mm. Plus, so that's him out of the running. And then they're not going to give it to a, like the whitest man in the world called Benedict over Will Smith, black guy who's maybe due for they one. They might do, you know, they might do as a bit of a swing back over the last few years, like just kind of, okay, well, we just want to make sh- let everyone know that we're still here, the old white men. <laughs> Um, do you want to know who who I would? Uh, yeah, in fact, fuck it. I don't care if you want to know or not. I'm going to give you my own personal <laughs> acting nominations, Alan. Who I would okay. nominate? Right. For I comparison. guess I'm just going to sit here and take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do them in order from worst to best. Right. But this is what a top five. So even yeah, yeah. the worst is you think it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. We least good, fifth best to best. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Bob Odenkirk, nobody can't go wrong with Bob Odenkirk. He brings a lot to that. Ray Fiennes, The Kingsman. Not the best film, but, you know, he's solid in it. Uh, This is a spoiler for something coming up, but Hideyatoshi Nishijama for Drive My Car. Yeah. Solid. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah, which was, of course, a 2021 film, but qualified for the previous Oscars. So, you know. I was going to say, that was, didn't he get nominated for that last? He did, yeah, but it came out 2021, so I don't know what they're playing at. Uh, Stephen Gray in Boiling Point. He's who, I'd, oh. he's who I'd give well, it to. Well, I mean, you but... can't go wrong with Stephen Graham, can you? Yeah, it's a good Stephen Graham as well, you know. He's he's always good, but it's a Stephen he's Graham He's boiling showcase. point, isn't he? <laughs> Everyone's getting fucking hot in here, isn't he? <laughs> oh, you're not, you're, not far, you're not far wrong from the content of that film. <laughs> I mean, it goes up and down. It goes up a little bit like, what the fuck are you doing to, you know, here, I'm sorry, mate, I'm sorry, you know, it's just getting <laughs> a bit the, much. Always doing the emotional bits. <laughs> All right, well let's let's just tie up Power of the Dog then. Let's give it a rating. Um disappointed with yeah. the lack of dog in the film. There is a dog in the <laughs> film for less than a second, I think, when they're when all the men are playing in uh men in the water, skinny Ooh, dipping. Definitely nothing gay about that. The dead rabbit gets more screen time than the dog, so you know. Don't don't lie to me about there being a dog in your movie. <laughs> Four out of ten. Yeah. I, I was going to give it a five, right? Watching it all the way through, I was like, yeah. God, this is boring. And then I just got to the end and I was just like, you've just wasted two hours of my life with that. It's just mm. like, what are you... Tr-? And I was just really annoyed. Four out of ten. Fucking hated it. Uh, yeah, I didn't... I, I feel basically... So I gave it a five. Let's put it that way. Uh, I didn't hate it, but it was... I enjoyed aspects of it. I enjoyed the kind of atmospheric nature of it. Mm. I do generally enjoy Jane Campion, but it's always just too far the other way it's just like yeah in fact every film that has been made in the last like four years it's like let's just take 40 minutes out of this okay i agree we just these nominees this year as well dragging things out and it's not Mm. necessary if there is a consistent through line with this year's nominees yeah take half an hour out your film all of you minimum in some cases take an hour and a half out your film there you go that's a transition for the next film, Alan. Okay, let's just use that. And go straight into- okay, so 
even you, Paolo, even even you take you could do with taking a, an hour out of your fucking Gucci epic. Oh yeah, well, you take an hour out of my film, and uh, you might lose a bit of Paolo. I am hardly the important part of the film, am I? I am extraneous and annoyed. That's a fair point, Paolo. We 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 want to. All right, June. <laughs> Dune. Okay. Uh, Dune. Pro- Dune, yeah. to pronounce it correctly, Dune. as the original uh, author wrote it. I'm assuming it's written by an American guy. I don't, I don't actually know. Now, you're obviously going to moan that this is too long, Sol, and you would be, you'd be right to moan about that. But here's what I thought, right? Here's what I came across. Because paradoxically, yes, it is too long, but also it, it needs more. It, this should be a TV series. Why is it a film when it should be a... 10 to 12 hour series. Can I just preface this? Look, right? June has gone down really well. People love oh, it. Hasn't, has it. People love it. Now, I'm aware, Alan, you, of course you're going to hate it, right? <laughs> but me too, I also hate it. So let me just preface this by going, look, it's unfortunate we don't have a, uh, what's the opposite of a dissenting opinion? A, 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 a scenting opinion? <laughs> Ascenting. Yeah. We don't have an assenting <laughs> opinion to, uh, to counter this. But, no, we do. No, we want a dissenting opinion. Oh, you're us. right. You're right. We want a dissenting opinion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I hated this film, Alan. It made me right. fur- furiously angry and, and on numerous levels. Now, the obvious one is anyone who listens to this podcast will be well aware at this point. All right. Story structure. That's my jam. And yeah. you take a big book and you chop it in half. What do you get? You get a film with no ending. You get a film with no structure. You yeah. get a beginning and a middle, and that isn't a story. And that's what June yeah. is. And so that's it my is. biggest issue. But you know what? Taking aside the fact that some people seem to have very different concepts about what constitutes a, a film or a story, or, you know, they're going to go, well, the, you know, it doesn't mean anything yet, but part two will make it all make sense. And they have now greenlit it, even though they hadn't initially. And let's let's take all that, put it to one side, I don't think this is a particularly good film outside of that. Like <laughs> Well, let me let me say I this is a fantasy nonsense. It's the worst type of fantasy as well because it's like Star Wars well, it's prote- type fantasy. It's pretend to be sci-fi, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretend to be sci-fi. So I was ready to hate it and I went in. I went in, I knew it was going to be too long. I knew it wasn't going to make sense. Then when it first started, it says June part one. I was like, oh, behave yourself. <laughs> so that annoyed me straight away. And But let me say, right, Ugh. as much as I was ready to hate this, don't. It didn't, it didn't exactly grasp me, but it maintained my attention. I went to see oh it at the cinema, gosh. which I think helped rather than sitting in my bedroom. Yeah, me too. And I felt, I felt like Timothy Chalamet being forced to stick his hand inside that box that <laughs> generates pure pain and has to withstand it. Well, don't get me wrong, Sol. I'm not saying I liked it, but I, it, I was won over by the visuals. I, I do like I see, the, I Dennis Villeneuve's look. I don't particularly like his films, but I, I think he creates a great visual world mm. see i i do like his films i generally like his visuals i i thought this film was really lacking in that front because well the cinematography i thought was dog shit people have been going on about how incredible it looks on that front but i i kind of assumed oh it's going to be uh what's his name out of blade runner <laughs> roger deakins was that who we shot that with is, uh, that, is that the right guy roger roger deakins is dead isn't he? is that why i didn't use him for this one <laughs> 
It was a new cinematographer. And so the main point of this film, right, is that it's hot. It's really hot. It's overbearingly hot. And every aspect of the film is designed to kind of drum that home to you. But it, it doesn't look hot in terms of how it's shot. It actually looks quite cool and drab. Yeah. And Should have put a yellow filter on it, is that what you're saying? Well, they, they just kind of put a brown filter on it. Yeah, it's sand, eh? Yeah, but that it felt cool. It never felt hot, and I should get a sense of heat from your film. Like it didn't. I don't even remember yeah. any shots of like heat haze or anything. I, not to tell. I know what you mean. Film, yeah. I, just... I guess it was the scale of it, the, the epic scale of it. I it, it it won me over on that sense. Well, I, all I, the ships and stuff. I liked all yeah. the nice little design of the stuff. And I, I think, so on um, that level, I I don't like when they just uh, have all the silly made up names. Yeah, um, I don't. And all that stuff. Oh, all the silly made-up names, but the chosen one, like the 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 supreme oh, being who's going to save the world, is called is. Paul. Chosen ones in this day and age. And just... He's called Paul. His friends yeah, called it's like the Duncan. Beatles, isn't it? It's like behave yourself. Come on. This film felt like watching Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but it's a special it's a special cut of the film that Jared Leto has made himself, where every shot <laughs> has Jared Leto in it. Hey, that, that sounds like a good movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Though it was just it was Blade Runner, but just like a bit shit. They shitted um, it up. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was I was kind of all right with it. I think the actors were all doing a solid job in the silliness. And did you? I mean, I, I don't know if you're as bothered about story structure as me. Obviously, we've got a problem here. But like, not only not only is there no ending, but there's no conflict in the film for the first ninety minutes. Mm. Like, I think I think I got engrossed in it. I think I was. Kind of like, okay, what's going to happen next with this guy, this, this one, and what's going to happen to this person? Like, there's not a lot going on here, really, but it it, it, it grasped me in that sense. But like I said, I think this should be a TV series. Why isn't it just Probably. like an hour blocks, yeah. and then it has kind of like, oh, here's your setup, here's the thing. Probably, it yeah. needs that time and, and space to to really yeah. drag it out. It's a it's a big story. Yeah, they they'd probably probably go budget but i think in this day and age with them spending billions yeah. literally i think billions on lord of the rings tv show coming out um yeah and J- jason momoa is in it i noticed he oh was, um, he was a bit out of season off, obviously momoa. obviously know. he's uh not on his uh on the right cycle at the moment he's going <laughs> to get back into shape for the next aquaman i guess Notice that. Um, Did you know he's conspicuously had his shirt on the yeah, whole time? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't get Jason Momoa to keep his shirt on, do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially <laughs> in a desert. You think you'd want to take it off, cool down, but I like I like the little boy though. I like him. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. You know, acting Oscar overall. Isaac, I like him. Not gonna complain about the acting. Oh, I tell you who was a nice little surprise. Stellan Skarsgård. Was he playing the worm man? The worm man. I don't know if he's a worm man. He's a big fat kind of was that still Colonel Kurt yeah. style <laughs> man yeah the filming he's a big show. worm he's not a worm he, I thought he was a worm till um well initially because he gets because he, he doesn't f- use his legs initially he floats around and he has very 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 long trousers that stay on yes. the ground so it looks like he's a worm um but then later on you see him crawling on the ceiling and it was like uh oh, that's not as good is it <laughs> I see Dave Bautista's got another job as well that's nice for him yeah I like Dave Bautista really <laughs> He's trying and he's actor, doing all right. Yeah, but he's 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 got a good look. That's half the battle. Got that wrinkly head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, see, I just didn't get into like the sets and the costumes and things like I think you did because well, it's not my usual thing. But it did kind of it was it it, it helped 
take me into the world. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I think it was a good world building. Well, I, I, I didn't get that because at the end of the day, I've seen Star Wars before. It came out in 1977, and look, like I get it. The book Dune was written 1965, but we're talking about June 2021. Star Wars came out 50 years ago. Like, let's can you just do that now? It's been done. Yeah. It it like it. It's not an excuse to go. Well, the book was. Uh, I don't care. Don't make it then. It's irrelevant. There's nothing new to say. Then don't make it. Yeah, I mean, I have no interest in watching the next one. The science is wonky as hell in this film as well. Can we add that? Like, there's there's so much dodgy science. Like, if you're going to spend hours of your film getting into wonky how stuff works and the world building and blah, 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 blah. Oh, this character and the politics and blah, 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 blah. At least have your science make vague sense. (laughs) <laughs> they've got they've got a fu- and I, I don't just mean from like a you know science that didn't exist in the 60s standpoint i mean just like a basic logic point of view right they have a big laser gun that they use to chop a door open when they're like these bad guys come into the castle and start trying to get the the main kid and his mates don't they mm. instead of just using that laser to shoot people cut them in half they fight each other one by one with daggers now, look, yeah, I they don't get, seem to have projectile weapons here. I get that um, they have a, a force field on people in this film, and if you move too quickly, the force field will like stop you. You have to move slowly to get through it. All right, I get that. So maybe a laser cannon can't pass through a force field because it's light. You know, speed of light, pretty fast. But then, why are they shielding from it? Like it's a threat, and they're scared of it. And that, and that's a perfect example of why this film is bullshit because every scene pretty much has something in it like that where I was just like well what? and and every every bit of fucking peril in this film is solved by another character appearing in the scene Deus Ex Machina Deus Ex Machinering themselves into frame <laughs> holding their hand out saving them that's not good writing. Yeah. It's boring. It's bad enough to do that once, let alone every single time. And and it's just it's yet another film about a fucking privileged, wealthy, royal family aristocracy. <laughs> Why should I care about the magical bloodline being preserved? I don't give a shit. Wipe them all out and start again. I don't care. <laughs> why don't they make a why why don't they do a subplot about how it's not uh, a birthright you can mm. kind of you can earn it but then completely eradicate that in the next film well i've heard in the next film that uh, i've heard apparently based on the book from people who've read it that the, f- the story isn't that and but the first film part one certainly is because there's nothing to bring it together because it's half a film and the other problem mm. with that is there's no subtext here there's no meaning or purpose that i could put together whatsoever with this film and the the best i can gather from reading about it is maybe there's some degree of subtext and purpose in june as a story but you you need the second half for it to be there so it's not a film all we have is a load of setup with no decoder it yeah it's not it's not just half a film it's half a work of art it's not it's just a load of pretentious waffle about sandworms how do they get so big those sandworms and so little food I, I suggest, Alan, anyone interested in that, just watch Tremors and sync it up to a Philip Glass <laughs> album, right? Save yourself 90 minutes. Be a lot more fun. Tremors is so much better than this. <laughs> it's a much better film. Hated it, thought it was really boring, thought the characters were stupid, didn't like any of them. 
one or two scenes were interesting. I, I kind of like the bit where the guy spat on the floor and then the guy went to get his dagger and then the other guy was like, oh, no, that's an honor because yeah. of the water. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. All right, look, what did you rate it? Oh, I hated it, Alan. Uh, this is my least favorite film oh, yeah. of this, this batch. Uh, four out of ten again. Mm. Well, I mean, I didn't hate it. I get, I was, I was, like I said, I just kind of got involved in it. I didn't mm. particularly care, but it was, it was okay. I was all right with it. And then it just kept going and kept going. So I was, I was sort of on a kind of, hey, this is a fine kind of seven out of ten sort of thing. And like, and then just like forty minutes later, it's okay. Well, we're down to six now. Are you going to keep going? And then, so I was at a six really, but didn't have an ending. So I had to chop a point off for that. I gave it a five out of ten. I mean, I kind of did the same thing, yeah. I think I started at maybe a six or a seven and just yeah. got worn down to a, a yeah. five and then it didn't have an ending and then four. All right, well, uh, yeah. fuck June, I hate it. Um, okay, so next up, Alan. Next one I watched uh, was Don't Look Up. Oh, no, what's up there? Why are you <laughs> telling me no looking up? Eh? There's a comet. Oh, no, I cannot see. <laughs> yeah, you can't see it yet, but you will. Give it about six months. Ooh. It'll be there. And that's when you'll know it's a real Super problem. Mario Galaxy! <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, he's just, uh, he's just he's just jumped out the window, Alan. I think you've triggered something okay. in, his, <laughs> in, his, right. in his head there. Oh, well. Bye then, Paolo. Um, don't look up. Uh, I am a big, well-established, I think, on the podcast at this point, mm-hmm. fan of... Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Yeah. But. But. But this is not a sort of retelling of reality. It is more fictional than his last couple of uh, things in this style. It's a weird straddling the line between the last couple of films he's made that legitimized him, The Big Short and Vice, and the early part of his career uh, making Step Brothers, Anchorman, (laughs) the other guys. It's a weird straddling the line, and because he legitimized himself first and included a um, political message in his film, mm-hmm. somehow this incredibly broad comedy is now like a heavy-hitting awards contender. <laughs> yeah, which is obviously, and because of the actors, he's managed to pull in for it as well. You know, it's kind of the your heavy. I'm not. It's not a bad thing. Like I, I feel like more films like this should be in the conversation, but, but they're they're not. Well, do you know what? Right, one of my one of my complaints about this year's bunch of Oscar nominees is just like, can't we have fun? Can't can't does everything have to be fucking miserable and and really serious? Like not even if it's about a sad thing, but just really sincere. Like oh my god, I'm a cowboy, and it's so serious that I'm a cowboy, uh, and I just can't. I, like especially when you watch them all kind of in close proximity it's just brutal to deal with it mm. so a little bit of comedy a little bit of lightheartedness should leaven that it's also a very bleak film <laughs> but that's the the problem is that yeah there's a paradox here for me in that it is both um too silly to take seriously too serious to take Comedically, it's it's satire delivered to the face with a baseball bat, yeah, but also but also kind of too close to the truth to to be yeah, not just yeah. completely depressed. I mean, look, I I enjoyed this film. It was nice, easy, just to pop it on, sit through it, 
nice cast, having fun. Some amusing jokes in there, not all of them. But I agree, that there's big, big, like, fundamental problems with what it's trying to... Well, not with what it's trying to do, but how it goes about trying to do it. And I'm alright with being beaten over the head with a, a political agenda, but it, it, it felt like it kind of hit a note and then just kept hitting it you know it didn't yeah yeah and and it did right it hit a few a few notes across the runtime but it didn't feel like it changed it up enough over its two and a half hour runtime that's i agree with that actually that's not how i'd phrased it myself but yeah it's it's just it's just the same gag over and over again the other problem is like every 10 years someone makes this film someone makes a comedy about a comet destroying earth and last time round it was um seeking a friend for the end of the world which you know oh, yeah. this is better than that i'll i'll go that far but the the one back in the, the 90s before that was uh last night canadian film oh yeah don't know if you're familiar with it beautiful I'm poignant aware of film it. i don't know if i've seen it yeah. i love it it's one of my favorites it's a genuinely really really emotionally beautiful film about you know how people respond in the the you know the wake of the inevitable end of the world and uh you know the people who sort of try and forge connections because they want to connect with someone in their last moments and the people who kind of avoid that it's also very funny i think but we we this film isn't really about that we get that in the last sort of 20 minutes and it feels a bit stuck on and it just yeah. gives us a little bit yeah. of emotional resolution to our characters but the that the film's not about that the the, the comet yeah. is a macguffin really to do, it's it's a it's a threat that people will look straight in the face and then go now yeah, yeah it's yeah. and it's it's like pretty obviously just going like hey look what that's what you're doing society mm. yeah i mean my point really is just that it, it was difficult for me to get fully on board with a film where the whole time through i was going oh i wish i was watching that other film that's better about <laughs> the same subject matter uh but no yeah it, and it's a climate change um allegory i don't know if you were aware of that alan uh but that's what it's doing yeah but you could just as easily you could read it about put it with COVID anything or the current yeah russian <laughs> war any threat that you're not taking seriously because people tell you not to you yeah, know yeah, whatever yeah. but yeah it's climate change because it's something that's not tangible until it's too late you know and yeah. then even though every, all the scientists are saying it but yeah what do scientists know you know so-called experts. This plays like an absurdist, surrealist comedy in places. The extent to which people are, like, stupid or mm. evil. It was like idiocracy at some points, but then... Is, like, just a bit too beyond believability for me, for the tone that it's going for, which is quite... Yes, but then at the same time, you think, oh, this isn't that far removed from reality, is it? Oh, <laughs> I know. And I then know. it's depressing. I'll tell you what joke I loved. I think it was my favourite part in the film. Go on. I loved when Mark Rylance playing a... Oh, I, I did like his tech. performance in general, yeah. Yeah, BAFTA nominated, but uh, not Oscar nominated. Mark Rylance oh, there for this role. I mean, Mark Rylance is always pretty dependable. But, it's a uh, fun role, though. I like yeah, what he's, he's having doing fun with it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very good, I, I must say. He really nails it. I think the cast in general are very good in this film. But then, you know, they're not doing, like, the heaviest lifting. I don't, I don't know if um, just telling Jonah Hill to do whatever he wants is yeah. the right idea. It definitely falls flat. He was, if I had to pick someone out, 
as an example of someone who didn't really work in the film. Yeah. And it, and it's so obvious that he's just throwing stuff out there. It's not scripted yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. But yeah. So uh, the bit I love was when Peter Isherwell, Mark Rowlands' mm-hmm. character, and Meryl Streep as the president are having a chat, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we've got a, we've got an algorithm that tells us how everyone's going to die." It got me so excited to know about my own death. <laughs> I don't think I want to know. Yes, I do. I want to know. You're going to be eaten by a brontorock. We don't know what it means. A what? A brontorock. Oh. I, I thought, oh, that's that's a fantastic joke. And then um, I'm assuming you sat through the uh, yeah to the mid credits. Then they spell it out, and it kind of I don't know. It detracted from the gag for me because that gag was there. Do you know what I mean? I didn't need yeah. to then see it beaten over the head. Um, I thought that was just a. It was a. It was a beautiful kind of almost surreal like bit of humor there because again it's like a world breaking gag that because mm. it doesn't make any sense that the algorithm yeah, the would be so advanced <laughs> that it would name. <laughs> Not only would it be able to tell that there's like alien life out there that anyway. Yeah, there's some good gags in there. I thought the music in this film yeah. was great. Actually, can we talk about the score? Oh yeah. Yeah, I didn't, good, I didn't good get score. it. But go on. All right. Well, good score. <laughs> good, good music. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Again, a bit too long. Just drags oh, it's way a bit too, too long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, he's ever dependable. Is old DiCaprio. It's nice to yeah, watch him. Exactly. Same for Jennifer Lawrence, really, yeah, when she's yeah, actually Lawrence. invested in something, and you can tell she cares about what she's doing here. Meryl Streep was a joy, but she's obviously having a lot of fun with it. Uh, Mark Rylance a joy. Same thing. Tyler Perry. I like when he turns <laughs> up in not Medea real films. films. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kate Blanchett. A nice turn from her. Didn't recognize her for about yeah, thirty minutes. Same. after she turned up. Yeah, it took me a while. I quite like the Ron Perlman running gag of him sort of saying stuff that was completely unacceptable as the sort of <laughs> astronaut hero from from the past they had to call on to save the world and everyone's something like, ah, oh, it's a different time, it's a different time. <laughs> yeah, but again, it just felt like it just hammering me in the face with your satire. That's uh, that's is that even satire though? I mean that was just sort of Well yeah. Very broad, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, it just it, it it just didn't quite come together, I yeah. suppose. Even though there was enjoyable moments in it, the whole thing was a bit depressing because it just reminds you how shit America is. I'm not going to hold that against it. I think it's supposed to be depressing, but I just yeah, I wish he'd struck a more consistent tone. I think you could make this film a lot sillier in the kind of Anchorman style of things, and it would work mm. a lot better. Or you could make this film a lot more serious, but still comedic, akin yeah. to Vice and The Big Short, yeah. and it would have worked a lot better. It's just, this has an awkward... And obviously it's in that style. But this uh, is it, you know, because nice. it's kind of shot, edited, put together superficially in that more grandiose awards bait style but mm. then you have jonah hill improvising for hours and trimmed down to two minutes so you know it's just that kind of it doesn't quite align so yeah anyway um i'm giving this an incredibly generous score here but mm. hey i had a decent time watching it seven out of ten from me <laughs> yeah i think it's a little bit generous i gave it a six yeah fair uh, lots of things to like there but just yeah, yeah, yeah. 
just a bit bit too broad. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's talk about actors again. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's do lead actress, I guess, next. Uh, we've okay. got... Uh, Jessica Chastain, Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, yeah. I've not seen it, but I like her, and I believe that that's an award-worthy performance. Totally, totally believe that. Kristen Stewart for Spencer, where she plays Lady Di, What Died. Uh, Right, okay. This was, um, she was, like, getting shitload of awards buzz uh, back back at the start of the year, because the film came out quite early. Uh, it was a big like, oh wow, Kristen Stewart can act, uh, which I've been <laughs> banging the drum off for a while. I, I think she's a perfectly decent actor. She could win it. I don't think she's the favorite anymore. Uh, I think the favorite is now Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos. To be fair, good. Don't know that either. Nicole Kidman is a bit of a fifty-fifty <laughs> when it comes to her performances, but uh, you know she's all right. She's good in it. Uh, Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter. That's a Netflix film. Don't know that one either. And uh, Penelope Cruz. For parallel parallel mothers. Oh right, yeah. I haven't seen any of those. So. Uh me neither, apart from being the Ricardos. I'll tell you who I would have done. <laughs> go on, yeah. <laughs> I could have phrased that better, but <laughs> Well I said what I said. <laughs> uh I, I would have gone with Lady Gaga from Hasaguchi. Oh hey, hey Paolo, he's uh <laughs> climbing back in through the window there. Alana Haim licorice pizza. I mean mm. she's there. It's a weak year, isn't it? Uh, Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos. Okay. Emma Stone, Cruella. Fair enough. Controversial. Yeah. You, like, but you like an Emma Stone. Though. I do. She's very good in, in Cruella, though. I like Emma Stone, actually. She's very good in Cruella. She's having a lot of fun, but I don't think that should detract from the acting, you know? Uh, and and I would give the award to Jodie Comer, 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 for The Last Duel. Uh, I thought, thought she was excellent in that film. That film yeah. really... Snubbed, actually, at the Oscars. That's an award-worthy film that should have been up for everything. It was much better than... So, you know... Well, it was a Ridley Scott film, so... He released two films this year that kind of could have been Oscar-nominated, and neither one was. So, next film, Alan. Next one is Drive My Car. Ding dong! I hope that's Japanese Bond behind the door, because I've got some questions for him. (laughs) Oh, let's open the door. Oh! Oh, wow! You do a kill for your eyes only. Moonraker, Octopushy, Quantum of Solace, Doctor No Golden Eye. You only live twice. Live and let die. Baby, you can drive my car. License to kill Goldfinger. Baby, you can drive my car. Oh. <laughs> and maybe I'll shag yous. Oh, yeah. All right, Japanese Bond. Um, All right, mate. Um, you right, Lash? Yeah, can I ask you a quick question? Just representing the old Japan, you know? Yeah, well, that's what I want to ask you about, actually. So I may attend a Eurovision. No, I think you've missed the <laughs> Japanese Bond. How come Japan, the Japanese culture seems to be repressing your emotions and not expressing anything, and then working hard until you die? What's that about? Well, you know, the... Uh... It's, it's, it's hard being Japanese, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is, I, from what I know of Japanese culture, um, I hate it, and <laughs> this film expresses it quite. Oh, you like? What's that about? Like, right? Sure. First of all, as right, that is offensive. 
you don't like ramen noodles, you're saying? You don't like <laughs> karaoke, you're saying? No. Well, uh, it's not what I said, but I'm happy to say it. You got, you got fucking Super Mario Brothers over here, Paolo. <laughs> you wouldn't have any of that shit without Japan culture, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right with that. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, this is a this is an interesting one, Alan, because again, like the power of the dog, I couldn't tell going into this film. This has all the hallmarks of something you would love. Yeah. Long, tedious, boring film where nothing happens, a rumination of grief on grief, and I forgot that you do hate Japan. I don't hate Japan, I just hate... You just hate me, you fucking shape. <laughs> uh, no, I do hate Japan, I'll go with that. Right, well... Uh, fuck off. You've, you've offended him, Alan. He's he's left. No, I tell you he's what. Still got Paolo. Um, Paolo came back. Remember? We've been we've been talking about we've been talking about films that are too long. Um... <laughs> I watched this one last night, and I only yeah. got in at midnight, so I was up late getting this movie. Watch for the Oscars. <laughs> three hours long. It is three hours long, and unnecessarily just... so. Oh my god, unnecessarily so. The first hour, not only is it not necessary, but it would actually be better without it, I think. Mm. I think it shows too much. I think if we had that information sort of drip-fed later on, it would have more of an impact. I... And, and, just to rub it in, they put the opening <laughs> credits in, an hour in, it's 45 as, if minutes, to say, yeah. as if to say, hey, even we know all that was going <laughs> It's like they're mocking us. I don't appreciate that. Well, you know, Nightmare Alley did it, so why can't these guys do it? I really got on board with this film's kind of tone. I thought it was mm-hmm. a really beautiful, dreamlike atmosphere. I thought it was a quite nice rumination on grief. Uh, I thought individual scenes and sequences were just exquisite. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a scene in particular, which is when he... With him and the young man in the back of the car? Yeah, and they're talking, and he tells exactly. them about a bit of the... I could have watched that one scene, oh. and I would have been happy with like a 20-minute short film. Yeah. That would have been great. And, and you're right, actually, because now that you say it, without that first 45 minutes, and just hearing it all in that scene, would have worked fine mm. and that's the problem I, I think all the all the stuff that i loved in this film and i mean like really loved is just diluted by there's too much water in this glass of ribena alan <laughs> it's overlong seemingly unnecessary scenes and shots as well just shot this shot will last three minutes for no reason you know yeah. and it just detracts from the 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 oomph this film might have had because mm. a different edit even of this film just trimming not even adding anything or changing anything else just cutting some stuff out this would be my favorite of the year with a different edit i think it might be one of my favorites ever yeah i think i think there's there's definitely things to like here but the, there's also that whole the whole kind of what i'm calling a subplot with the actual driver girl and her story yeah felt added on it didn't feel like it was yeah, particularly I, I, adding to everything they were they weren't playing off each other it was like i know it's kind of dealing with grief in different ways yeah, and like yeah, different yeah. and the and the guilt element of this like survivor's guilt almost yeah but it didn't feel like they were working together did it yeah i agree i i've heard people talk about the um the film as a twofer uh, between these two and how they kind of come together and help each other through something and and while the last part is sort of true it does just kind of feel like oh how can we get this character from point A to point B we'll add another character and not really give him the time of day I, I kind of agree with you and I, I think the film again would actually be stronger with without that character um, just this man 
dealing with the fact that he was cheated on by his wife. This is all in the opening act <laughs> prologue of the film, so I'm not counting it as spoilers, but he's cheated on by his loving wife, who he he feels he had an excellent relationship with, except that she likes to shag around. I quite like that it came to a resolution of his like, eh, she can love me and just want to shag it's someone thirty years younger than me. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I but the, but I don't I think that. I don't think that requires um, the other character. My point is, like for me, that was the interesting part of the film: him dealing with that, mm. dealing with the the fact that he he ends up he sees his wife sleeping with this young man. Um, he doesn't confront them. He sl- he sneaks out of the house and just leaves him to it. And then later on, he's casting a play. That man comes in. He ends up giving the guy a role in the play that he's completely wrong for. Because it's some weird, like, he wants to keep him around. He wants to kind of toy with him. I don't know. Get to know him. See what his wife saw in him. There's, a, it's, it's, it's not... The way you've not... said that suggests there's some malice there. It doesn't even feel like that. It's just a kind of weird curiosity. Like It reminds him of his wife somehow. It's a very understandable... I think very human impulse that um yeah and I found all of that fascinating. Mm. I found all of that sort of stuff just an incredible exploration of, of Didn't you humans. think though? Didn't you think though that the play he was putting on was just total shit? shite? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Awful. What a load of shit. <laughs> Is that a famous play? play? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a famous Chekhov play, but like it's but it's it's Doing a play in several different languages at once, and including it, it, sign language, but it fe- that feels like something where you go, "Oh wow, that's really powerful," and then you go, "Oh, hang on, no, it doesn't mean anything, does it?" Because if you're not using that to explore communication or lack of exactly. communication, which you're not, the play just goes on as normal. Exactly. Then what are you saying? Nothing. That's what you're saying. So that wound me up. Also, he seems like a really shit director. Because he just tells him to read the. Oh, he's a dreadful director. But well, is he a dreadful director, or is that meant? I couldn't tell. There's a bit in the film where one of the characters, uh, an actor, she asks for some direction, and he basically mm. says, "Just read the fucking lines." And yeah. I, 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 the way it's put together, it's hard to not take it as, oh, he's in an emotional bad place and therefore doing a bad job right now as a director. Why else would they even include that scene where she asks him for help if you're... I don't think you're meant to be on his side there. No. And I think that's meant to be like, oh, he's... Well, the problem is we we see them doing all that and it's like, okay, well, they're supposed to be like just learning the rhythm of the thing, like learning the line, but it's not in a rhythm. So it doesn't really make any sense. But all the other characters say as much. They kind of, he leaves the room and then they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) And and he's, he's obviously just trying to break their will so that they're just like, do what he says. But which is then, a valid but then we just kind of jump forward director, you know? but then we jump forward and then it's like they we seem rehearsing and actually acting it and then he's like oh yes they've had a moment and it's like well when did that happen because you weren't involved in that mate you like either any directing you've done we haven't seen it has not been involved in this film so yeah, yeah. well no that he, he gave him a common enemy to rally behind didn't he right is that how it works that's how you do it so yeah that all annoyed me um, have you ever have you ever suffered from grief, Sol? You ever lost anyone close to you? Because I haven't, and maybe that means I'm not connecting with this in a way I'm supposed to. I mean, it's kind of been undone now because they're bringing it back. But when Futurama got cancelled in 2013, <laughs> <ooh-wee>. <laughs> ooh, uh, 
No, I, I mean, not really. I, I, The closest I think I've ever come, and this is pathetic to say out loud, but was when David Bowie died. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did, um, I mean, a, a very kind of, what's the word? Not loose, distant friend um, from when I was younger. It was really a friend of a friend, but uh, incredibly attractive young woman who I spoke to a bit here and there and was, you know, s- trying to slowly worm my way in. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she killed herself, committed suicide, I found out after, like, out of the blue one day, and that, that was quite upsetting. But it, it amounted to a couple of cries and then kind of getting over it. It wasn't like, she wasn't a big enough part of my life for it to be, like, mm. proper grief, you know? See, I've never had that. Like, I, like the closest I've had is, well, like, my grandma, you know, my grandma died, but that's she was an old lady and it was sort of expected it wasn't exactly a big shock and you know what what about when your mum took your perfectly healthy cat to the vet and had it put down for (laughs) just because she couldn't be asked well she didn't tell me till two months later so (laughs) (laughs) so if it happens in the past it's old history it doesn't matter do you know what the really fucked up thing actually is salt I think any time like in my life going forward the most grief I am going to feel is going to be for a cat like one day I will have a cat and I'll have it for 10 years and then it'll die and it will break my heart. But I don't think I'm ever going to have that relationship with a human. Is Grace going to listen to this? Uh, <laughs> I do um, I do find myself grieving for past relationships every now and then. Like uh, romantic relationships and not not in the sense that I miss them or want them back. But mm-hmm. I will just think back to, like, an in-joke or a nickname mm. that we had and think, like, oh, it's such a shame that that is gone and that is never going to exist again and that, you know, specific interaction with this person can never be, I don't want it to be again, really, what it would take to kind of make that happen again. Like, that that will make me sad. And I think that's operating on, like, the mildest version of grief, isn't it? Mm. Uh all right. Well, drive my car. What did you rate it? My initial reaction after I watched this was it was my favourite film of the Best Picture uh, nominees this year. I then thought about it long enough and kind of compared it to my like rankings list of 2021 and stuff and realised, oh no, I did prefer West Side Story. I just kind of waited long enough since watching it to forget <laughs> that I preferred mm. it. Uh, so this is my second favourite film of this bunch. I, mm-hmm. I give it a 7 out of 10. But like a like I say, a different edit, this could have got up to like a 9. Oh god, yeah. Maybe maybe, we... a, maybe a 10. I, I don't know. There's, like, a very, I... there's a really solid sort of 40 minute film here, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I give it a 6. For yeah. all the reasons we've discussed here. Yeah, all right. Well, moving on. Oh, actually, before we move on, should we do some more actors? Oh, yeah, go on. Let's do female supporting actors. Okie dokie. All right, well, you have seen most of these for a change. Ooh. Ariana DeBose. DeBose? I don't know how the fuck you say that. West Side Story. Uh, that's Which the one, one you, is she? It's the one you liked. Oh, the char- I like the character. The performance. Oh, I like the performance, but didn't blow yeah away. i sh- she's the favorite to win and i don't really get it yeah. she's fine on janu ellis who's that uh she is whichever one it is in king richard on ellis plays the mum of the williams does sisters she? in that yeah oh, i just assumed it was one of the one of the kids 
The mum's no. barely in it. Let me look her at Laura. Yeah. Let me, I'm just going to look up a picture of her. I've just got the names written down here. That's my problem. Yeah. I mean, the bits she does, very solid. It's like she does have to carry some emotional she weight does have there. Some, yeah, you're right. She does have some big but, emotional swings yeah. in there. But uh, it, it kind of but. feels like they don't have anyone else to make up the numbers. Yeah. Uh, all right. Jessie Buckley, the lost daughter. I'm going to guess she is the titular lost daughter, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that one. Uh, Judy Dench, Belfast. I think that's well-deserved. It is, but it's safe. It's a bit obvious. She, actually, it's it's a her and and um, Kieran Hines. What's his name? Kieran Hines. They're a nice little partnership there. No problem with that, really. I'll tell you what's annoying about it is that uh, Catriona Balf is not nominated, and she is by far the best performance. Oh, you in liked her in that, didn't you? She's way yeah. better than Judy Dench in that film. Do you not think? No. Um, but she is. You Judy liked Dench. her a lot. I didn't. Didn't. She didn't blow me away. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then Kirsten Dunst is there for Power of the Dog, which is nice because I didn't think they yeah. would acknowledge her, but they did. Mm. Yeah, again, not that bothered, but it's fine. Right. Well, do you want do you want my uh, my five, Alan? Here we go. Go on then. Now, all right. Number five and four on here are kind of making up the numbers, but uh, we've got Marley Matlin from Coda. That's the mum. Yeah. Okay. More on that in a bit. Judy Dench, Belfast. Kirsten Dunst, Power of the Dog. Alice Feetham from Boiling Point. Yeah. Not seen it, have you? And then Catriona Balf Belfast, who I would give the award mm. to. Off off that note of uh that woman. What I just said her name. Marley Marley Matlin. Marley Matlin. <laughs> She's already Oscar nominated. Is she? Pre- previously. Yeah, back in the day. For what? In the nineties, um, that thing where she plays a deaf person—I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> but, you know, that one that she's famous for. Well, moving on, Alan, go on. <laughs> uh, Coda, Coda is next. Yeah, now, and I will say right now, I think that the standout performance in Coda is um, uh, the one that's not Troy, deaf. Troy Kotsu, <laughs> the dad. Is that? Is that? The oh, dad? really? I I liked. That is the dad, yeah. He he's my favorite performance in the film. The dad, I like the dad. I quite like the son. He had one really good scene where he had to do some emotion. I liked it. I liked him what he was doing. Um, so, um, here's here's the thing about Coda Soul is that I don't know why a sort of 1980s after school special is being nominated for an mm. Oscar. This is such a by the numbers. Weird kid discovers that she's special after yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah. kind of film. Look, I know what you're trying to say, Alan. Can I just, can I guide you slightly? Go on, then. I think this is l- less 1980s after school special, more 1990s, early noughties, maybe, Disney Channel movie. Okay, well, that's a lot better then. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it just, it, I know it, what you mean, it, it felt like a kid's movie. It's it's so it's so 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 straightforward. It's so basic soup story. Yeah. yeah, it felt like it was made for kids. Like it really does. It's obviously about a kid, but it's like my ex used to watch um just the shittest TV like dramas and you know, she watched some good stuff as well, but she was really into teen dramas. And it's mm. like I never it's really a teen watched drama, yeah. I never really watched teen dramas because Every time I tried to watch them, when she be watching one, such as Euphoria, which is like the the new big thing on HBO, second biggest thing they've got other than Game of Thrones, it just it feels like I'm being talked down to. It's like it's like I wouldn't read a Goosebumps book seriously now because it's it's pitched at children, and it's mm. not pitched at children in that kind of Harry Potter way 
where, okay, it kind of tells a good story well written enough to work to adults. Because it's, it's, it's just like simple, simplistic and basic. So I don't want to, I don't want to come at Coda too harsh, but no, I agree. It's like, it's a really simplistic, basic. And it does it very nicely. Yeah, it, yeah. it does it well. It's nice acting. It's it's, it's that's it. The, the I just filming think, I think it's a kids' really film, and I don't know why basic, it's but it it works. It feels quite playing to adults. I don't know why it's even in a conversation about awards. Never mind Oscars weak, and weak best year. picture. I just weak year. Well, I do know why. I, I'll tell, I do know why. It's because it's because there's deaf people in it. That's why. Well, that too, and also it's Apple Apple Plus selling. Apple Plus know. are trying to get into the what that means. Apple launched their streaming service. Uh, so last they've year really or pushed it. So they're a bit more. They're a bit less of a. We're going to put loads of stuff on our service approach. They're a bit more like we're going to have one or two shows that you're going to want to watch, and you're going to pay us five quid a month for that. Mm. Um, and look, I've been enjoying Apple Plus thanks to the free trial I got with my iPhone, and now my PS5. I've activated a different trial. Um, and I've been enjoying it to watch your your Ted Lassos and your Mythic Quests, but I don't think I'd pay five quid a month for that, you know? Mm. I need a lot. Maybe in ten years' time when they've built up, you know, a few seasons of the shows, but... Uh, and anyway, they're, they're, they're really going after, like, credible movies. Um, so they've obviously done a big push. They've palmed the right... They've they've greased the right palms on this film. And yeah, and they, they had two big movies they were pushing this year. The Tragedy of Macbeth, which didn't get nominated in the end, and Coda. And uh, this one squeezed in there. So let yeah, me, Apple TV gave so. it a big push, and I think you're right. I think the deaf <clears throat> actors probably helped let, uh, give it an air of uh, credibility. Let me ask you, Sol, right? I appreciate that Hollywood, the Academy, are trying to improve their visibility of disabilities and, and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. But why are they focusing so much on deaf people? Because there's a lot of that been going on. We had one last well, year. We got Mr. Magoo in the nineties, didn't we? So. We got this. What was the, what's the other <laughs> Leslie one? Leslie Nielsen deaf person gave, us, in this? Uh, gave us that. But I'll tell you what. Where was the where was the Oscar for Leslie Nielsen? What's the other film that Oscar film that had a, a deaf last last Oscar? Sound of Metal. Yeah. No, no, this one. There's one in this year as well. Another one of Is the it? one of these films had a deaf character in it. Oh, it was. I'm talking about. I'm talking about Drive My Car. There's a whole oh, bit God, in that course, where yeah, one of the characters is yeah, deaf yeah, yeah. and she's doing sound. I watched that last night. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking within the Hollywood system, which that, of course, isn't. I think it's yeah. a lot more organic and justified in Drive My Car because like, yes, they're doing it's... a thing of bringing all these different language speakers together. Mm. And it, it... Yeah, this Coda is a film about deaf people. It's like that's what the whole point of it is. The same as the last one last well, year. Well, it kind of is and isn't. That's the weird thing. It's, it's ultimately a you know, coming of age film about a girl stepping out and getting into a school to pursue music that she wants and there's a bit yeah, of a rift yeah. between her parents and her. Yeah, the, the the deafness is what creates tension in the in within the family. The deafness and, and is within the, only, the community in general. The deafness is the only justification for her parents not being on board with music. Otherwise it'd be mm. this hilarious, like footloose parody thing. But... Well there's there is to be fair, there's very little in the way of kind of conflict or drama in yeah. the film. It's a very nice everything's gonna work out okay in the end, don't worry about it. Which frankly was quite nice after some of these films. Yeah. It was like yeah, like a nice it's it was nice to have a nice simple, basic yeah, 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 story. Yeah. I knew exactly what was gonna happen and everyone loved each other at the end. But mm. it was 
superficial. It's just like, well, why? I kind of agree. I, I, I will I say, this? when you get to the last third, I, I think there's a couple of scenes which are, you know, they're designed as little tearjerker moments. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. oh they work for me. Oh, yeah. I got yeah, really like I said, into it, it emotionally. Fine, yeah. I got more emotionally invested in this than I did Drive My Car, which I thought was a much better film. But, you know, the, the scenes where her parents are watching her perform singing on stage and um, they're not able to really appreciate or understand what she's doing because they're deaf. So they mm. start looking to all the crowd watching the daughter and they see people like crying and stuff. And, you know, that was like a really nice, like, oh, they're kind of vicariously taking in the emotion from those around them and then later on there's a scene where she sings for the dad and he holds his hands on her throat um mm. to feel the vibrations and i i was really hoping that like someone was going to walk in and just see a man throttling <laughs> like homer simpson style his daughter but didn't happen um but i thought they were really nice emotional beats and it's kind of a yeah, shame the yeah. film wasn't a bit stronger or deeper just a bit more sophisticated those, or something, yeah to yeah. make those scenes play better overall you know because there's a lot there's a lot of good here um mm. tell you what it wasn't helped for me that i i watched this on the apple tv app on my ps5 and apparently their app is so aggressively shitty that uh, it turned the film into a kind of interactive sensory experience for me alan <laughs> what? Well, you see, every every three or four minutes, it would kind of forget that it was um, that there were supposed to be subtitles on the film, <laughs> um, and I would have to kind of exit the film and then load it up again to get subtitles for the deaf people talking. So I had all these. I had like fifteen minutes at the start with no subtitles. Where I was like, "Oh, this is just like throwing us straight in, just submerging me in the film." Interesting. I I did that for the first couple of scenes, and I was like. No, I should. I definitely should be able to, because I thought that was the point. Like you can't understand what they're saying, but I was like, I realised that yeah, I should be able to hear what they're saying. See, the problem I had was for the first couple of scenes, I had subtitles. Then right. we went to high school or whatever. Then we came oh, back. Yeah. The thing had stopped playing the subtitles. So I thought, oh, okay, we're just not doing subtitles anymore. Okay, it took me a while to realise what was going on, yeah. but you know, I, I think I kind of got the gist of it. <laughs> so Apple TV shit. Yeah. Okay, good. Dreadful, <laughs> that's, dreadful. that's the review there. Yeah, yeah. What do you rate Coda then? Uh, I, again, very, very, very weak one of these, but I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Whatever. Do you know it, what I think, based on the film, cliche on its own, sincere, a very a basic, a basic 7, yeah, superficial, it does what it does, but it's really simple. But I watched this because it was a nominee for the best picture. <laughs> and with that comes expectations, and that's why it got a 6 out of 10. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. Actors. One left. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. one a- one actor's left. Uh, supporting actor. Kieran Hines, right. Belfast. Fair. I'm all right with that. Yeah, I think that's well-deserved. J.K. Simmons being the Ricardos. I don't know that. He's always good value, though. I can believe that one. Eh. Not one of his best. He's in... He's got one scene where he gives a little speech, and then he's in maybe two scenes where he doesn't really do anything. I, it's... Look, he's great. He brings a lot to the film. I don't think it's enough to warrant an Oscar nomination, but whatever. Uh, Jesse Plemons, The Power of the Dog. Uh, he's barely in that film and does very little. I watched The Power of the Dog in January, I think, and I do not even remember Jesse Plemons in the film particularly. I know he's he, in it. I but... mean, yeah, he's 
that's ridiculous. Like, he, that's not even a kind of, oh, it's the sort of thing that they put people on for awards because he does this, he does that. Like, he's he's there to create a framework. He's he's not... Yeah. He's not. He doesn't do anything, and and well, the character is sort of deliberately unemotional as well. Yeah, like it's, yeah, yeah. That is weird. Yeah, Cody Smith McPhee. This guy is the favorite for the Power of the Dog. He's probably going to win it. You see that? I understand why he's been nominated, even if I don't particularly am- yeah. amazed by it. But and uh, Troy Kotzer, Coda, the dad. Oh right, okay. Fair enough. I think. I'm all right with that. Yeah, it's a solid performance. Nice, he, nice, he has a lot of um, charm, personality. He brings a lot to yeah, it. Yeah, it now, all right. So my five, Alan. You want him? Go on. David Nell, Pig. Have you seen Pig? I'm guessing not. Nicholas no. Cage film. David Nell is basically in one scene, and he plays a chef who Nicholas Cage basically tells him that he's like basically wasted his life pursuing like chef superficiality food. instead of proper art with his food and blah 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 blah. blah. And it's it's just it's like it's a it's a proper drama. This film. Um, I don't know if you got the wrong impression of it, but just he <laughs> conveys so much in uh, in in that one scene. It's it's a really beautiful bit of acting. I think it's a very powerful scene within a film that I didn't really care for overall. Then, come on, Andrew Garfield Spider Man. <laughs> you yeah. behave yourself. <laughs> Hey, he does a lot with very little in that film. I think it's... If Tobey Maguire is your number three, I'm going to smack you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> number three, Alfred Molina. No, uh, Kieran Hines, Belfast. Yeah. Well-deserved, in it? Number two. Oh, forgot you were still here, Al. How are you doing? <laughs> Al Pacino. I'm in, I'm in a house of Gucci. Yeah, well, you know. You know what he's like. He's a very reliable actor as well as Al Pacino, isn't he? And then I would give it to... Adam Driver, The Last Jewel. Oh, you love Adam Driver. He's great, isn't he? Hey, mm. Adam Driver did three performances this year that any one of them would have been a credible Oscar nomination. They didn't give him any of them. It would have Why? been perfectly reasonable to give him a Leeds nominee for uh, nomination for Annette, although that's probably the weakest one. would have been totally reasonable to give him a supporting actor one for The Last Jewel. And even... Even a supporting actor one for House of Gucci wouldn't have been crazy. Anyway. King Richard, the last of our nominees. I'm Again, this could go either way with you, yeah. but you are a big fan of the Will Smith, so I could see this getting a good score for <laughs> Well, I know, I know, Saul, I know you love a sports film. You <sighs> love the sports, don't you? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Do you think, this is, obviously this is a film about tennis it's about tennis players do you think they could have made this film with any less tennis in it (laughs) no i did have that thought i because yeah there's one match which just used to demonstrate Mm. you know confidence basically i um i have to ask because you know will smith more than i do i think you're a bigger fan than me can you shed any light on his decision to portray uh, Richard as uh, Milton from Office Space? <laughs> is that what he's doing? The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. I, I, I didn't receive my paycheck this week. If if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while she's, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating. Uh-huh. So I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right. okay. I enjoy listening at a reasonable volume. Thanks. From 9 to 11. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. Excuse me. 
Okay, but that's the last straw. The, the, I'll tell you what made me, like, what made it utterly confounding that Will Smith kind of, he, kind of, he spent the whole film kind of doing this, this kind of a, uh, a call from who? Not at liberty to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You, uh, you all need to look around. Go ahead, you can check on in the cupboards. Maybe you can go check under the beds, make sure it's no monsters. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. Will Smith is a great actor, right? When he's put to use properly. Mm. But he kind of has to play himself in different situations, yeah. right? And you watch The Pursuit of Happiness, that is Will Smith as himself in that situation. And it works. It's it's a great performance. King Richard here is Will Smith putting on some silly makeup, putting on a fake beard, greying up his hair, and doing a silly voice, and it's ludicrous. And I, I actually thought it was a pretty bad performance, but he's the well, favourite you know to what? win this right. year's Oscars, so... I I wasn't comfortable with Will Smith doing the black voice. Which I think <laughs> I'm sort of tuning into the same thing. Because he's actually like going, oh yeah, my, my daughters is going to be tennis stars. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know if Will Smith can get away with that, can he? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable about it. It's a little bit. Mm. Well, I also I don't I don't like Will Smith playing sincere when he does his "I'm about to cry" eyes. Uh, it just feels like it's the same thing every time. And in this film, that's all he does the whole way through. You hate that episode of The Fresh Prince where he meets his dad and then his dad goes <laughs> again. You know, I like Will Smith as a charismatic persona, but I don't know if he's that good an actor. Frankly, he's a good star, not yeah. necessarily a good actor. But let's let's dig into the actual film of it because I know a little bit about Venus and Real. I'm not a big tennis fan, but I know, and I assume you know absolutely nothing. I mean, so I, I was, I'm aware I was interested of them. To, what, as... How would this? How does this play to you? Because I kind of know what's going to happen at the end. So. Do, you want, do you want me to name tennis players? And I'll, I'll tell you, I know as many <laughs> coming out of this film as I knew going in. Right, all the tennis players I could name for you: Venus, Serena, Williams. Pete yeah. Sampras, yeah. Tim Henman, yeah. John McEnroe, yeah. that's it. No, Borg, Borg, Borg. There's one called Borg because it was Borg v. McEnroe. That's it. Well, four out of six of those are in this film, so that's a pretty good guy. <laughs> Story of these two great tennis stars, great sports people, uh, you know, trailblazers for, for female sporting yeah, athletes, yeah. trailblazers female for, rights, for, for non Black women as well, like uh, especially yeah, underserved uh, in so, terms of diversity. Oh, let's look, let's focus on the patriarch. Let's make a film about the strong man behind them who really made them what they yeah, are. Yeah, that yeah, seems yeah. Let's like give him all the credit. Idea, for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, it's obviously an interesting story, and it's like not not only can... that, Alan, but, uh, you know, a controversial figure. And look, I, I do want to preface this by saying, look, I I don't know tennis, I don't know the man, and I will acknowledge that he was an outsider coming into a predominantly white world in the 90s. Mm. Like, you know, maybe... Not just the... the whole white thing as well, it's money. There's a lot of money in tennis. But my, my point is, like, you know, he's a controversial figure. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe he is the saint. He's perf... Portrayed. Portrayed. Maybe he is the saint he's portrayed as in this film. But from what I've heard, he's a bit controversial, you know, tantamount to child abuse. Like, Well, that that was it, because even within the film, I couldn't tell if this was like a total hagiography or if it was, like, there, he's obviously still alive. The Venus and Serena Williams are still alive and very powerful, so you can't really just... Like, he does things here which I just think, wow, that's a horrible thing to do, or that's a really crazy thing to do, or that's a really just... 
nasty thing or or not even nasty but just like you're you're just pushing back for pushing back's sake but then you try to go well i can see why he's doing that look at his background you understand that it feels like they're trying to create a complicated character, but well, it, it never, never goes beyond a surface level. And yeah, yeah, you never yeah. dig down. And because you never get into those kids, you never really see what they're going through and how much they must hate exactly. him. Or do they love him? Do they love him because he's their dad, even though he's pushed them? Or is he? does he push them in a good way? Because, he, he then, because then we try and justify the fact that he doesn't push them. He takes them out of that pressure. But all that means is that they he stops Venus from playing in junior tournaments from like 11 to 14. But that means at age 14, she goes onto the biggest stage, plays the world number one on center court in front of thousands of people. Like, well, all, and she hasn't got the she hasn't got the experience of having played in front of 50 people and then 200 people in these smaller tournaments. I don't know why playing other people at tennis is cons- like why he thinks that's a bad thing for a tennis player. I don't I don't know what his logic yeah, is. Yeah, it's there. bizarre, isn't it? Well, it it played almost to me like just a petty don't tell me what to do, <laughs> which is what made the film play weirdly to me because it felt like we were just glossing over some darkness that might exist. Exactly, here, exactly. The that, whole yeah. way through the film, and especially when there's a there's a big uh, emotional payoff scene near the end where Serena is just kind of like because because only Venus gets to be kind of the big tennis champ who's yeah. you know given free coaching by this mega tennis coach. And at the end, we have the scene where she's just a bit like miffed, like oh, I, I like tennis too, and mm. my sister's doing really good, and I'm not, I'm not even allowed to, you know. And then Will Smith comes up and he's like, "Hey, you're my favorite, you know that." And it's like, is that good parenting? <laughs> he basically says, like, "Hey, look, I, I picked her because you're the better tennis player, and it's going to drive you. I knew it was going to drive you fucking crazy, and now you're going to be an even better tennis player. And like, I don't know, maybe that's good motivation, but it also feels very, it feels weird to pick, a, a, to rank your children in that way, full stop. Yeah, you go with the oldest one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just do, weird. Do you know what, though? That's, I think, I think that's it. It's like, it feels like all these kind of unusual things he does like, is justified by the fact, and watching this film we know, they go on to become huge tennis stars. So everything he does has to be right because it worked, but that doesn't mean that he got it right. Do you know what I mean? That's another problem I have with it is it's the classic real-life biopic trap of there's no conflict. Mm. Bad structure, really. Uh, again, writing problems. It's just we kind of... There's no conflict. The only There's conflict early on when Will Smith gets into a fight with some and that's his dark that's like meant to be the dark moment for his character i think that mm. he he goes and buys a gun or gets does he buy a gun or just well he's got one for his job so i think it's not he goes and gets a gun and he's gonna go and shoot the guy and then uh deus ex Mackin car drives past and guns <laughs> the guy down for him and then we never really see any fallout from that it's just kind of like what's this trying to say like you are we are we we're selling we're, we're making the point that you've come from a rough neighborhood i guess that's there but then that's kind of glossed over really we're, we're trying to say the characters got this dark side but then we don't really get into that i don't know it, so anyway like look i didn't hate it i found it incredibly watchable will smith is very charismatic it's shot in a way where you know all the acting is kind of decent or not not decent because i don't think will smith is decent in this film but all the actors are charismatic i guess <laughs> and but i don't know i could sit through it and watch it and go oh, is that what happened with them is that what okay but it ultimately left me feeling really like hollow superficial awards grab 
insincere. I think you completely nailed what I was thinking when you said it it feels like it's not mentioning the darkness. It's like there's there's yeah. something else going on under here that is like an elephant in the room. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some n- nastiness here. Yeah. And they, you get these occasional moments where, you know, it's mentioned that he was married before and had five kids that he never sees. Yeah. <laughs> and then, But then there's stuff like that has, has, has put us kind of positives that he, he literally had two children because he wanted to raise them as tennis people. And like that was like yeah. a weird thing. Like he wrote a plan for them before they were born. It's like, yeah. that's weird. That's really weird. Uh, the, but the fact that they became tennis stars and therefore a huge success in, in life justifies it somehow. It's it's. Mm. And, and you know, he's, he's putting all these things about like, well, they still have to do well in school. I don't want them to be too committed to it. I don't want to put pressure on them. I want them to enjoy it. And all these things seem like a good, positive things. But then he's constantly putting pressure on them. Yeah. So it's just this weird dichotomy of the character, which is not explored enough. It's so it's kind of frustrating. You want more out of it. Yeah. And I tell you what I really wanted. I wanted this kind of throughout. But then when I saw all those clips at the end of the actual reel, the Williams sisters and stuff, what I really wanted to, to see a film about this relationship between these sisters. Yeah, who, no, I agree. I want, you know, at I the, want pe- the film at the about peaks them. Yeah. Of their career were real proper rivals, you know, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. how the fact that Venus had all the success and she was the greatest in the world and then Serena was just a couple of years behind her and was the best of all time. Like, Serena has won three times as much thing as, as Venus. Like, mm. because Venus kind of burned out, she had injuries and stuff. Serena had this... Car- not just the best in the world, but best in the world for like 15 years. It's amazing. And that's there's so much to be told. They, they played doubles together. You know, they had doubles tennis. They team yeah. up. And obviously, like, the two best players in the world. So together, they were just unbeatable. And that relationship, there must have been conflict there at times. There must have been... But there's obviously real love there. I mean, that's a fan, that's a fascinating story. And I, I agree with what you were saying with there not being any tennis in the film. Look, I find sport boring as fuck. I, I hate it. I don't understand why you would ever watch sport in real life. Because the... The problem I have with it is why would you put importance on one person winning over another? Like, a a team, supporting your hometown team is like, right, these people were born nearer to me than the other people, except not if they hire players from elsewhere and blah 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 blah. Like, the, the whole thing is completely arbitrary bullshit nonsense to me. But in a film, we get to spend time learning who the character is and so on. So I actually can get invested in sport within a film if you make me care about the characters. Because mm. it's like, right, I, I know Rocky now. I'm rooting for Rocky. You know, I'm, I'm invested in him now. Like, I understand why you'd watch sport if you're the player's parents, you know? I get that. And so I do think it's a bit of a failing on this film that yeah there's no like they never really have tennis in it and it's a missed opportunity to like film tennis and make it look cool because i've seen sport filmed and portrayed i mean it's not a sport but black swan is um a great example they film ballet in a way that makes it interesting i wouldn't like ballet if i watched it normally i guarantee you but you 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 present it in a film like with nice camera angles and edits it's like oh wow this is bringing this alive i'm seeing what people see in it and uh whiplash does it for jazz music and i I think this could have done it for tennis but it just kind of isn't interested Mm. it's more interested in will smith's gray hair do you know what right and um his the williams sisters right their peak early 2000s venus williams had come along and won a few things and then in 2002 there's there's four major tournaments in tennis per year, and they played each other in the final of three of them. And Serena Williams won all three. That's that's your era that you build this around this this tension between these sisters, the one that's already a success, and then the other one who comes along and kind of 
overtakes her. And there must be some conflict in there. Uh, but the but you know, under it all there's love and and all that sort of stuff. That's what you build it around. That's that's the interesting stuff, right? That's where the story is. Plus, by that point, they're in their early 20s. So you can actually hire proper actors instead of child actors and do like, actually get them to act and play tennis. Yeah. That's the era you make this film about. And then the dad can be a really interesting supporting character. Yeah, yeah. Do a couple of flashbacks. All right, Alan, what would you give it? You know, nicely put together, just all a bit superficial. And um, yeah, didn't particularly care for Will Smith in it. I gave it a six out of 10. Yeah, same here. Very watchable, but a lot of problems, and I don't know why it's here. Six out of ten. So I think that my highest rating for any of these films is Belfast. It's the only one I gave a seven to, isn't it? I mean, that's ludicrous. Which is, like, obviously that's not the best film. It's just not... None of these are worth a damn, really. Well, what do you think should win out of this meagre selection of uh, It shouldn't. They should say no Oscars this year. They should say, look, we we we've looked at what's been made, and we've no one clearly no one no one rose to the to the (laughs) to the call this year. Yeah, I um I maintain lists, Alan. You You know all about my lists. Do you know one of my lists is uh, I average out my ratings for all the best picture nominees each year. And kind of rank them to get a sense right. of like, oh, that's a good year. That was a bad year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, minimum of three seen. So the problem is I haven't seen all the nominees yet. That's fair. That's but fair. you know, so you know, what do you think's in the top top spot? What years? Yeah, ninety five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Ninety five is my highest rated year. Well done. Okay. Um... You want to know? That's for the films of ninety four. Yeah. Which were, of course, Forrest Gump, mm. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Not seen that one. That would probably bring the score down here. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. I mm, give them an, an average of 9 out of 10. Anyway, I have got on this list so far 47 years that I've seen three or more films in. So not bad. Good, I'm getting good, there. Good. I'm watching my way through them. See, this, this one, this year, like I've given all of the... Basically, I've given them all a six. There's a couple that have dropped down. One that dropped up, but it's just because I was in a good mood. This is not a bad year, it's just a really mediocre year. Ten mediocre films is a bad year at the Oscars. But I don't think it's going to be your worst. It's not my worst, no, it's not my worst. I'll tell you right now, it is my one, two, three, four. Currently, it is my seventh worst year, Mm, which is pretty pretty bad. I think your worst is going to be like 1936 or something like that. Uh, No, actually, no. Might be because I've not seen enough films from 1936. (laughs) My bottom, Alan, is uh, 2002 for the films of 2001. Go on, what's in it? I've only seen three of these, so it might go up a bit. When I, when I get round to watching In the Bedroom and Gosford Park, maybe my score will go Oof, up. Gos- I don't know, Gosford Park. <laughs> uh, in the Bedroom I, gave, I like, but it's my kind of film. I gave these films an average of five out of ten. A Beautiful Mind, dog shit. Yeah, okay. One of the worst ever Best Picture winners. Uh, Lord of the Rings, The the Fellowship of the Ring. We know how I feel about that. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. And uh, Moulin Rouge, which, you know, there's a lot to love about Moulin Rouge, but doesn't quite work for me as a whole. But, uh, yeah, so this year, I have an average rating of 6.1 out of 10 for the films there. Not good, but it's kind of what you were saying. It's mediocre, isn't it? (laughs) Slightly better than mine. And... That makes it the worst Oscars on record for me since... 2001? No, since 2004, which is my third 
my third lowest. What's in that one? Uh, so that's the year Crash won. This is for the... Sorry, mm. this is... Sorry. Uh, it's the year that Crash won, anyway. Um, whatever that is. 2005, maybe, for the films of 2004. Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah, I think so. Um, Crash won. Weak. Mm. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Hate it. I like Brokeback Mountain. I know you do. Capote, not seen it. Good Night and Good Luck, not seen it. Munich. Uh, Munich's alright. I think Capote and Good Night and Good Luck, I think there's going to be stuff there that you'll like. Yeah, I think they'll I like pull Munich. you up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Should we put some bets on, Alan? You want to do some gambling? <laughs> no. There's no, there's no, like... I don't think it deserves it. I just yeah. don't care. There's year. no clear-cut winner for anything, which is just... It's all... But like, there's nothing I want to throw my hat behind enough to put money down. Do you think it's going to be any better next year? Do you think they're going to pull this shit together? Or do you think that's it now? Movies are done with. I think films are generally finished now. I think they can just go, move on to TV. All right. <laughs> Billie Eilish is going to win an Oscar, isn't she? She? What for? Here she is. Couldn't get through without her. Uh, no Time to Die. Is that best song, is it? Yeah, it's probably going to win it. Do you not think? Probably is the best song out of the ones they've nominated, but they have very conveniently not nominated, like, better songs. Anyway. All right. Oscars, done. Done. Bye. See you next year.